All right, everybody, before the intro even begins, we want to give a huge shout-out to this week's sponsor, Shotgun Thumb. Do you get tired of using dirty keys or not having the proper tool to shotgun your beer when the shotgunning begins? Shotgun Thumb is an ingenious pocket-sized party device that makes shotgunning beer easy and fun, keeping the statistics of bloody fingers and dirty brews away from your good time. Be sure to make ShotgunThumb.com your one-stop destination for opening your beer in style. Once again, that's ShotgunThumb.com. All right, everybody, we will be making demonstration videos in the near future uh, of the Shotgun Thumb. So remember to join the Opinions and Beer Facebook group if you haven't already, which a lot of you have not. Don't be shy. And as always, today is a guest episode. So the Ingenious Mutagen Ninja Turtle Beer review is at the end of the episode. So about two hours and 12 minutes. And it's a long one, folks. It's a long one, but Joshua Gray and I had a fantastic chat. So here we go. Enjoy this guest episode, kicking off our Mortal Kombat trilogy with Joshua Gray. You're listening to Opinions of Beer. Stone Cold Steve Austin knows that the Opinions of Beer podcast exists in this world. And opinions, opinions and beer. Two guys and another guy. Will never happen again. My nutritionist, I'm working on a specific plan to lose some weight. And uh, then I go to the dispensary to buy all the weed that I get because that's why <laughs> I need to lose weight because I'll <laughs> get high and eat. That's a vicious cycle. Uh, yeah, so. I, I've, been, uh, I've been putting on quite a few pounds myself. My mom called me a fatty McFatterson today. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> that's like, me. She was like, uh, you're getting fat, Adam. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> well, what what helped me get a nutritionist not only was to lose weight, but also just to really maximize my budget when it came when it comes to food. You know, what should I eat that's best for me? But also, I'll kind of either like bulk buy or what's cheap. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's working which, out good, man. Which that is difficult because you know usually when you think healthy, it's expensive. Yeah, and it can be, um, and also when you're cooking just for one, how do you maximize the benefit of stretching your dollar, but at the same time, not wasting the food? Cause I can like buy something and freeze it and then I'll cook it all. And then by the time I actually plan out the meals and stuff, like on day five, I'm going, this isn't as fresh. I don't feel great <laughs> eating this. Uh, but if I can, you know, go to day three and then only go to the grocery store twice a week, I'm finding that to be pretty perfect overall. Yeah. So yeah, just, just nailing that. And honestly, it's been, you know, what, what control do I really have these days when it comes to the world? Not much, but what can I do? I can, I can learn how to mass, be a master in the kitchen. And so that's yeah. the one gift I feel I have given myself throughout the whole pandemic is I feel like I am a master in the kitchen now and really yeah. understanding what it takes to put together a meal and all that stuff. That's definitely a divide uh, between me and my wife. She's definitely, uh, she doesn't like uh, leftovers. She doesn't like eating leftovers. And so, really? And so, okay. And, and so it's hard to shop, uh, you know, meals that stretch when, yeah. uh, when, you, when she doesn't want to eat that. She wants to eat something different every single day. And so, uh, but well, usually, usually it works out. Usually we'll buy, like, she, like she'll eat cheap too. So it's like, I'll still be okay. eating the leftovers and then she'll be eating, you know, ramen noodles or something. So it's like, okay, well, it's not like <laughs> lobster where she only eats half. She's like, I'm not eating this tomorrow. Like what? <laughs> I will <laughs> make this into a roll or a salad or all sorts of stuff. Uh, I don't have any beer in the house at the moment. 
because just because of the carb load of beer. So I have mezcal. So I'm pouring myself a shot of mezcal. Okay, that works. Uh, yeah, we we do so, a uh, uh, every yeah. every once in a while we do this whining with Ed Ray, one of our hosts, uh, co-host is uh, his name's Ed Ray, and so and he whines a lot. So and he and he likes <laughs> wine. So so it like that works yeah. out. It all works out perfectly. Nice. Uh, Joshua Gray is in the house. Joshua Gray is on the podcast today. Um, typically, I save the beer review for the end when I do guest episodes and stuff. But uh, you're a, you're a streamer. You're a podcaster. So I feel like you're you're probably going to be more accepting if I if I do just a standard episode. Sure, <laughs> just absolutely. Like... Let's go for it. So uh, so let me kick things off here with the beer of the day in today's. Beer of the day is Mutagen. No, Hazy Indian Pale Ale Mutagen. It's uh, by Ingenious Brewing Company. It's obviously Ninja Turtle beer. Oh, my Uh, gosh. (laughs) Mutagen, also known as the juice, is a hoppy substance full of oat cream, citra, extranaut, and Vic's secret. It changes the genetic structure of all organisms that consume it uh, and thus causes a great time. Uh, <laughs> this comes in at 8.2% in alcohol by volume. They made the can to, uh, I don't have a black light on me, but they made the can to be reflective in a black light or whatever and glow. So that's amazing. Great. As soon as you held the can up, I thought that looks like something from the Ninja Turtles. And yeah, they have like turtles. Always, they have like turtles. On here. It's, all, it's Ninja tur- Mutagen. It's all in the Ninja Turtle, uh, wording, whatever, uh, letter. And I was able to tell off of, uh, zoom call where it's not as crisp of a picture you know and so that just goes to the artist behind the marketing they did a very good job to oh, make yeah. it look like ninja turtles oh yeah it uh it sold out in uh five minutes <laughs> so, i believe it i was so lucky to get my hands on it i was like i need a good i need a beer for i need a good beer i didn't uh, i had to drive like an hour to get and i know an hour to just to grab a uh, two two four packs and they're like $22 a piece. So it was like it was like $50 an hour drive. Well, you know, and an hour plus back. So it was like two hour drive, $50, and uh rare beer. So that's what, that's what we got. Uh worth the trip. All right, man. Cheers. That's a pretty solid IPA. Oh my god. Pretty smooth. Uh 8.2%. Around around eight percent. Sometimes uh the alcohol can uh what is it, what, is it, what am I trying to say? It can uh, overwhelm the flavors. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. But uh, so it's always yeah. nice when you get like these these higher percentage beers and it's super smooth and and uh, and then the that's the trick. That's the balance. Definitely has like a. It's like it's not bitter like a typical IPA. It's very it's like a it's almost like milky. It's like a thick. It's like very thick. But then it's a, it's a hazy, so it's whatever. But. Mm. I bartended for a number of years and I preferred the hazies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There was a, what, what is this new England, right? Hazy Indian pale ale. I think it's new England, mm-hmm. new England, Indian pale ales where like all the hazies came from West coast is more. Yeah. Floral. I, I do like the more floral. Like my favorite beer of all time is uh, a, a tangerine wheat type of beer, but the one oh, that you're okay. sampling today, I mean, if, if they're able to nail that IPA with a good balance, I'm, I will drive to go pick one up next time. That they have one available. <laughs> I will drive. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of these beer companies, especially these crazy ones that charge twenty five dollars a beer, uh, they're they're definitely hit or miss. Especially when you're paying so much money for it. 
<laughs> for a four pack. It's a four pack. It's not like six or you know, you're it's two less yeah. beers for ten extra dollars. Yeah, you don't want to shotgun that. You want to sip it. Yeah, <laughs> because you know how much every sip costs. Man. So Joshua Gray, uh, I, I I wanted you on. You you are you are deep into the world of uh, Mortal Kombat right now, and uh, mm-hmm. I guess for a while you have been. Uh, what was the journey like becoming into this world of gaming? I mean, uh, you know, outside looking in, a lot of mo- more uneducated people would be like, video game? What is that? That's not a career path. That's some stupid. Why are they playing the games? Uh, but obviously, it is a, it's a big market right now. You know, it's, it's huge. Video gaming and the gaming, uh, and, uh, like gaming competitions and stuff like that. It's exploding. It's on ESPN. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I've been on ESPN. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, and it's not it's not really easy to break into that space. So, what? yeah, what was your journey like? Oh, it, it's been a phenomenal journey, but I'll start all the way back to the Mortal Kombat journey, at least for me, because it's it's interwoven. I grew up as a martial arts uh, fighter. I did Taekwondo and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for over a decade. I also wrestled, did all the school sports, was very active as a kid. But video games was always a part of my household and a part of my childhood and now a part of my career as an adult ever since the days of regular Nintendo. And then the Super Nintendo and friends would have the Sega. And, and But I, I remember specifically just how cool the big arcades were. Like there was this place called Tilt close to where I lived in the Pacific Northwest that I'd go to for all sorts of birthday parties and stuff. But it's just a big arcade. But also there's a place called Shakey's Pizza that had a Street Fighter arcade there. I think it was Street Fighter 2. Then one day they switched out that arcade for a different one for that arcade machine. And it was, I couldn't remember what the name was as a kid. I don't think I was, I was still sending out the words. I think I looked up and I looked at combat. I'm like, that's not right. That combat's with a C, right? Like I'm going to, I don't want to mess that up on a test. <laughs> Uh, but you saw the spikes, you saw the fatalities, you saw the stuff happen in between when you put a quarter in and you thought, what is this? And I remember my dad taking a look going, what we got to play this. So playing that game at Shakey's pizza is one of my earliest memories. And then growing up as a fighter, I remember having to talk with some of my friends in the back as we we're putting our sparring gear on. And I said, kind of like just nonchalantly, but also like I felt like I was tuning into something in the universe as a young kid. Like I could feel something was happening with Mortal Kombat. And I was asking, hey, do you think if they made a Mortal Kombat movie, it's going to be PG-13 or R? And this older guy who was more of a mentor of the whole fighting class said, oh, they're making it. I've seen the trailer and it's PG-13. Now this is before the internet, before the internet. And so I was so stoked. And my dad and I went and saw that movie in theaters and I listened to that soundtrack every day. When I was doing modeling and acting classes, I was using all the songs from that soundtrack (laughs) as my background music when I was going through. Here I am, this like 12 year old kid with long hair surrounded by all these women. And I'm like stopping and moving and posing with to reptiles theme. You know, it just was, (laughs) it was part of my childhood. So for me, Years later, when I'm still playing video games, I'm in the Air Force, I'm, I've done a number of things in my life, but video games has always been part of it, and performing has always been part of it as, as an actor, as, uh, as a singer, as a dancer. And to be able to merge those two ideas together after I graduated with my acting degree in, uh, on the East Coast, I decided to either go to New York or L.A. I had a job in L.A., which was super difficult to kind of come up with a concept of, oh, I just graduated with my bachelor's degree and I'm taking a minimum wage job. 
on the West Coast, packing all my stuff in a car. Yeah, let's do it. And I did. And I was able to grow my brand and grow who I was by attending different events, building my YouTube channel, building my Twitch slowly, but really working on brands, working at a studio named NASL, working with Blizzard Activision, working with Sony, working with uh, Warner Brothers in particular later on, but just working with different brands to take our creative ideas and really make something awesome in the world of new media, in the world of the internet. And so while doing that, it felt like whatever we were doing was kind of standoffish from the world of TV and film and, and kind of like the Hollywood way of doing things. And when we were building our, uh, our success and building our studio and being on television and being on um, the internet more and more and more, I had an opportunity to talk with Warner Brothers after I hosted an event for them for Gauntlet, which was this uh, release of a retro game. And those ideas stemmed around Mortal Kombat, around Mortal Kombat X. I had been apprehensive about fighting games because it was difficult for me to play them, but they're so much fun to watch. You know, I've, I've produced or hosted for almost every single esports or video game competitive title out there. And fighting games to me are the most mainstream friendly or the most anybody can see what's going on friendly compared to like Dota or League of Legends or Starcraft or even Call of Duty, where if you don't really know the maps, you're going to get lost. But oh, when yeah. you watch a fighting game, if you and I just turned to a screen and saw Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, we could both know exactly what's happening because of the health bar and it's one person versus one person. So the opportunity and the possibility for like my entire life path as a young person, learning to be a fighter, being a fan of Mortal Kombat, and then having this opportunity to pitch to the people that create Mortal Kombat, how to make an online tournament series and add this level of professionalism that our team was coming from, that I was coming from being a trained professional. And dude, it was magic. It was lightning in a bottle. We had such an amazing team in California. Warner Brothers gave us a chance and we produced three very successful seasons with millions and millions of views on YouTube. And it was incredible. But we also learned that that we tried to push it and put it on television or there was that push, but the internet had changed so much that trying to put things on television doesn't make any sense. That's not where people are. They're on the internet. They want to watch us on YouTube. They want to watch us on Twitch. And the more we convinced the higher ups, the more that we convinced the executives, that's the, this is the case. This is the new technologies. Just like television took over radio, the internet's taking over television. Come with us instead of trying to force us into your time slots we've seen some serious progress. But also what really shifted, I would say within the last 10 years has been, I made my dreams come true on the West Coast, been on television a number of times. And we did one of the last televised broadcasts on TBS before the pandemic uh, for Final Combat, which is one of our best tournaments to date. I had Keith David there, one of my childhood heroes who voices Spawn and I got to ask him about Spawn. Like it just was an amazing, an amazing crowning achievement for all of us for what we had built for over the last 10 years right before the pandemic hit. <laughs> but since a, a lot of what we've done is online already and we're able to play a fighting game, I'm able to play with somebody at the speed of light in another town, in another state, maybe even another country. And yet it's playable. Yeah. It's To me, it's so like almost miraculous we're able to do that. So I have decided because of the nature of things and because I look at the landscape of where people are, I don't need to go to LA or live in New York to make a name for myself in the world of media. I can build my own channels off the body of work that I have. And that's why I've decided to do my own Mortal Kombat show four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, eight to noon to the moon Pacific time. And I showcase different artists and I go for that adult swim type of vibe that four hour after school, we have skits, interstitial stuff, uh, because I think that's what people kind of all love. 
uh, when it comes to that. So that's, that's very short, <laughs> short and trusting. There's a lot more. Um, but that, that is my current relationship with water, with uh, mortal Kombat and other own studios. Uh, they consider me family. I consider them family yeah. and, Mortal Kombat 11, the latest game iteration is a masterpiece to me, which is why it's the game that I've streamed the most throughout my entire career. And I, I really will rock with the people that make Mortal Kombat until the day I die, I'm guessing, just because of how much synergy there is and how much fun I have with it. And now we have a movie coming out. So Heck yes. I'm pumped for that too. For that too. But yeah, it, it's, it's, listen, if you want to make any type of career in the entertainment world, it's going to be tough. There's a lot of rejection. It's going to be lonely. Esports or video games or even live streaming on YouTube, all of that falls under entertainment. Yeah. So there's there's luck and all sorts of hard work and things that happen. So just know, just know that there's no kind of like, oh, this is different. It's going to be easier and stuff. It's easier for you to get the content out there. But the human nature hasn't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. It's just the way that we get the content now. Yeah. Just remember that, you know, you have to, I think for the audience today, you have to have authenticity. That's the number one thing that's important to me is that I can be authentic and have that authenticity. Uh, and I think that's what people crave, which is why YouTube numbers and individual podcasts and individual productions and opinions have been shooting up when it comes to viewership uh, while television has been going down. It really has, you know? Yeah. I, I just looking at a, uh... I'm, this is probably a weird comparison, but like uh, WWE numbers and wrestling numbers, people that watch wrestling and stuff, they're like, the, the numbers are following almost 2 million you know, views. They're like, oh, it's not like it what it was. You know, everyone's saying that we're in this uh, new wrestling, uh, uh, what's it called, um, era because of the whole AEW, like this whole mm -hmm. uh, wrestling renaissance or whatever. But uh, it has definitely not shot up to the level of Attitude Era. Uh, so it's just kind of... And I don't think we'll ever reach Attitude Era. I don't think we'll ever reach the numbers that WC because I, I watched WCW during the Goldberg era and the Goldberg run. I remember when they tased him and my brother was crying like, it isn't fair. This isn't fair, you know, because yeah. it was crazy because Goldberg had this <laughs> undefeated rush, right? So the accessibility, like what the WWE app was 10 bucks a month and you get to watch all the programming yeah. all of it live same day like yeah that that's what and now it it's five be. bucks a month now it's five bucks because it's wow. going to because because they're 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 importing it to peacock and so uh whatever whatever peacock costs you're gonna get all the uh all the wv stuff with them but it's only in okay. usa and it's only for a short amount of time so everywhere else in the the rest of the world still has wv network so this is like a this is a temporary to maybe finale uh you know yeah infinite. Well, whenever I see numbers go down, because they've been going down for television year after year after year, I think to myself, all they have to do is just make an internet version where they can watch it live on YouTube. Yeah. And then you'll get the same numbers. It's all about accessibility. I don't have cable. I'm never getting cable. If wrestling is on cable, I'm never going to watch wrestling. Yeah. It's the same thing with TBS. It was the same thing with TBS and E-League, their cable version of a esports league. Yeah. I can't watch it on the internet. I'm never going to watch it. I'm never going to watch it. I'm not going to buy a I'm, What? It's like, it's like you were asking me to go out and find an antiquated piece of technology in order to watch your content. Yeah. No. It feels that way. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so everybody has to go to where the audience is, or you're just going to die a slow death as more and more the boomer generation cuts the cord or uh, 
has to cut the cord because they passed away. They can't pay their bills anymore. You know, that, that you and I have seen that probably over the last five years, knowing that's the case, but unfortunately with bigger contracts and bigger ships to turn in the world of entertainment, it takes a lot longer for them to change. Yeah, it does. It takes a long time. Uh, I'm sure I had something to, <laughs> I, just, uh, I, I had like a joke somewhere, like two questions ago, but, no, but uh, uh, I like this whole meth. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to host this uh, uh, meth fest, but uh, that joke does not work anymore. <laughs> that joke does not work anymore. So, yeah. so uh, uh, of all the games, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, you, you know you played Mortal Kombat as a kid, and you know Mortal Kombat really helped shape uh, your your build to becoming this uh, the streamer. Uh, but what? But as you were getting in there, did you know that it would like that you would be hosting Mortal Kombat X? That you would like this would now be you're like the Mortal Kombat streamer guy. Well, I had become that guy for StarCraft II. Okay. And then I had become that guy for World of Warcraft. Or not World of Warcraft, excuse me, World of Tanks. So because I was able to create a name for myself at MLG and NASL and other events uh, where we had these big tournaments and a huge crowd and I'm on stage hyping up the crowd and doing interviews with the players and just really trying to create great moments, raise the production value and bring the personality out of the players that I would be invited or considered for more and more events across a variety of different games. And I play almost every game that's out there. I don't, I play Mortal Kombat the most and I haven't really touched a game um, since the last two seasons of Mortal Kombat uh, uh, Combat League, just because yoga is taking up a lot of my other free time. Um, but I usually have like a first-person shooter I'm playing, a MOBA that I'm playing, at least over the winter, and then uh, definitely a fighter, Mortal Kombat, and then a, an indie game or a single-player story game or something like that just to have some variety. And I was able to have that adaptability and that variety for talking to any type of developer or publisher or group of, or an entity that wanted to put on a tournament. And that's why working at NASL and then ESL America, Electronic Sports League America, which is the biggest esports brand uh, in the world, they're really known for Counter-Strike. They really can do Counter-Strike great, Dota great, and StarCraft great. That's all PC. Yeah. Now, I'm a console gamer. I'm a PC gamer. I have it all. There is a differentiation between the PC market and the console market. The console market is intrinsically more social because the console is built for two or more controllers. It's in the living room. You got a lady friend over, you play a little bit of Mortal Kombat, you have a little bit of flirty fun, and then you get laid. I mean, that's happened to me, personal anecdotes, right? I never had a lady come over and we play a game on PC together. I could, I could plug in two controllers, but just do you understand the dynamic that I was trying to build when it comes to just like the layman, the regular audience member, the regular person who doesn't know the difference between a graphics card or a memory board. So the PC world is awesome, love it. They have a more entrenched footprint in Europe. And that's why you have such great teams and organizations when it comes to Counter-Strike and Dota and League of Legends in Europe. 
StarCraft II, incredible RTS game. I still play it. I still play multiplayer to this game. Super frustrating, but oh my God, super fun when you win. And when your actions per minute, APM are reaching like 300, 400, you're moving so quick. You're moving as fast as Korean pros. However, Korea dominates in that game. They're so good. <laughs> uh, and then the secondary is, is Europe. And then I would say third is Oceania, Australia, and then maybe the Americas. So you, you even have within the culture of these individual games, the skill level is greater within Europe and Korea. You'd have a rising star in America, but they'd face off against a Korean and then they'd get destroyed. <laughs> Fighting games, America <laughs> knows what's up. America, fuck uh, yeah. America, fuck yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but we're starting to see even better players out of Russia, Bahrain, Ireland. It's international for sure, but it feels more international, in my opinion, from the console world because it just seems to be more of a layman, generic, basic, in the living room social experience when it comes to consoles, okay? So that's the overall kind of psychological meta understanding of human behavior and where the audience is based off of the inputs. You have a controller, which is everything's right there in your hands, or you have a mouse and keyboard, which can be very intimidating because you have so many inputs and macros and mods and all sorts of stuff. I knew the PC market was always gonna be big because you have screen viewing where I can be playing the game, but then looking over at another screen and be watching the stream. And we had a lot of engagement that way. And that's why League of Legends was so huge is because you could watch the live events buy skins associated with the live events and that type of interaction would reward you for tuning into the live event in game that would keep building and building and building i took a lot of the lessons that i learned from the pc world when we came to mortal Kombat, knowing this is console and pushing the console market we told them for mkx hey use a skin or use an asset and sell it for a small fee three bucks 2.99 but use the funds to fund the pro league, the professional circuit, the production and the prize money. So we had a skin, the Sub-Zero Blue Steel skin, sold it on consoles, both, both Xbox and PC for three bucks as a microtransaction, sold like gangbusters and funded season two and season three. So looking at the concepts of what PC was doing because of just the custom, the customization and kind of more mature level of gameplay when it comes to uh, PC based off of the hardware and then brought that to the more generic mainstream layman console, that's where the money would get it even bigger. Um, so seeing the potential with StarCraft II, but then seeing the ceiling. Being part of World of Tanks, which was a lot of money coming from Belarus for this company that was just raking in the dough. It was different than StarCraft, a fun PC community, and they had the money to pay the bills. So rolling with them for a while. But then always knowing, always knowing from the bottom of my heart, anytime I would see a fighting game at MLG, I'd always be looking over and watching that instead of what was happening on the main screen because <laughs> it was more captivating to me. So just taking all the potential and the knowledge from the PC world and working with those games before, and then having the opportunity to bring it to console Mortal Kombat X, that's what really made it into uh, a huge explosion of creativity yeah. and success. And uh, yeah, it, it you can see, you can see you can see the vision sometimes, and then you'll think, well, why hasn't anybody else done this? And you're looking around thinking, okay, so is anybody else going to do this? I guess it's okay. I will do it. I will do it. And having a number of those happen literally in, in 10 seconds and those 10 seconds and making the, the decision of, 
I'm going to pitch this or I'm going to go for this. And then having all the amazing consequences five years, six years later, you know, it's awesome. It, yeah. yeah it, <laughs> it's fun to look back on and have so much <laughs> praise, but it, it gets stressful, you know, because you want this to succeed and you're trying yeah. to prove this concept to so many people and you're trying to fight this, this attitude of, Oh, it's the internet. So it's discount or what you're doing is discount compared to Hollywood where I'm like, because my budget is lower and I don't have to deal with triple the middlemen as you do, you want to discount what we're doing. Okay, fine. You do it that way. But now the tables are turning, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> look at all, look at all the marketing and promotion that's happening for all these YouTube personalities that have good numbers like David Cage. David Cage got to interview uh, Ludi Lin, who plays Liu Kang in the new Mortal Kombat film. Oh, now, shoot. did they go to Good Morning America or these other places? No, they went to David Cage. And you're going to have more engaged fans yeah. who care about that interview, that want that interview, than if he just popped up on a random talk show on television. Yeah. It's better performing content overall. And guess uh, how much money they had to pay David Cage to do that interview? Zero. Because it's all the attraction of getting more views onto his channel, getting the views on the YouTube uh, uh, channel and then YouTube the algorithm or David's fans will take care of the monetary system. So it's a, it's a brave new world of how all this stuff works. And if I can go back in time and tell myself, Hey man, do a YouTube video every day, no matter what, <laughs> that's the one thing I would have changed because I kept, I kept waiting for the right time for me to do it. Or I want to wait till the production value is good enough. Yeah. And I would just see other people that would just goof off and have fun and be themselves. And now they got a million followers. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. So some it's, people though they goof off and be themselves and they don't get nothing. Yeah, true. <laughs> you don't know, but but you don't have to deal with the bullshit of all the auditions, yeah. all of the all of the middle men and women, and all of the ladder climbers. As soon as you get a little bit of success, all these people want to like, let's collaborate, let's do this, let's collab on this, let's yeah. collab on this. We're like, hey, I have no idea if this is going to work next week. <laughs> so <laughs> collabing with anybody right now. Let me, let me wait until my audience is well established on my own channel. Yeah. And then I can build more collaborations and stuff and stuff from there. You know, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a 420 event around the corner, 420 DigiFest. It's a Mortal Kombat exhibition. I got four players, two first attends, but in between the matches, we're doing music videos, cannabis education videos. I'm going to make the tone and the vibe be like adult swim, except with brutalities and weed. Because that's what I want as an audience member. I want to sit down and hang out with, with somebody on a channel for four hours, watch some dope shit, smoke some good earth, and talk about a little bit of life and chat, but then watch some good MK as well. Yeah. You know, And so for today, it's all about authenticity. What would I actually want to watch? What would I actually want to tune into? Let me create that. Yeah. Um, you know, Adult Swim, when I mentioned, oh, it's Adult Swim, they're like, oh, I love Adult Swim. I know what you mean. I know the vibe that you mean. It's something that I tune into. It's live. You know, it's in that programming block. Yeah. And it's special within that time. So speaking about what you said uh, earlier about the um, about people wanting to go on the uh, like podcasts and YouTube channels and stuff instead of really the TV stuff. Uh, what are our, our, one of our biggest uh, interviews, of our, our most downloaded interview is with Jan Broberg from uh, the documentary abducted in plain sight. And uh, she, uh, she was just, I, she was literally on the view and the very next day she was on our show. <laughs> so she was like, she did Dr. Phil the view and then opinions of beer podcast. <laughs> <'Cause> we, 
because we yeah. have the most random fucking podcast in gotta, the goddamn world gotta be everywhere <laughs> but but your audience maybe some of them don't tune into the view so they yeah. had no idea who this guest is yeah that guest now appears on your show you have a number of audience members that go oh this was fascinating i'm glad i got to experience this because i would have never have heard about this person oh yeah and we were we were, we were going to talk to her about a lot of things that these shows wouldn't ask you know like because like there's a lot of controversial stuff in that in in the uh netflix documentary and a lot of things that were kind of skewed because it's a documentary and they want to make it as entertaining and talk worthy as possible and so we were able to address it like hey why did your dad beat off that dude <laughs> and like what what were your thoughts like 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 what was like you know edited for this show you know what i mean it, it made th- this scene right here makes your mom look really creepy and she's like smiling and she's that she was able to like defend her mom like no yeah we don't know why they put that cut in she was just really nervous and that's why she was smiling and she was just scared and stuff and so it was it was really, it was really cool to get like a deep dive and it was like it's actually our longest episode uh it's like almost three hours talking to this lady about her experience and just like trying to, you know, break down the documentary and things like that. So it's really fascinating, really fascinating stuff. <laughs> it's really yeah. fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But also the beauty that you get to dive in and talk to her about this stuff compared to what she's on the view for less than 20 minutes yeah yeah less than 20 minutes and then how how within those 20 minutes on the view how much is she actually talking right yeah (laughs) exactly the the form the long form of podcasts and interviews which i've enjoyed for a number of years and i decided to do my own because there's not enough i feel platforms or podcasts for people in the video game industry to talk about what it's like to be a pro player to be a professional commentator to be involved in the scene from a career standpoint or your, or to compose the music, you know, to be able to interview the composer behind the Mortal Kombat soundtrack for the latest video game and what that process is like. It's fascinating. And, you know, there is a problem in the video game industry right now that everything hides behind the brand name where Activision, for example, Activision Blizzard, uh, Blizzard Entertainment, the people that make World of Warcraft, Starcraft, yeah. and Diablo. The people that made the magic of those original games, the games that we all loved, especially like Diablo 2, they don't work there anymore. It's not the same team. It's not the same people. So how can they say it's the same company? And this is a problem because they're basing the future and potential growth, growth, like they need to grow anymore, uh, <laughs> of a company on the talents of people that are unproven. It's not off the talents of people that prove themselves in the past. No, it's a new team trying to figure this stuff out. And it gets, it gets, it gets disingenuous. I feel sometimes when they, they hide behind the brand, if it's good or bad, but it's a form of protection. You know, it's a form of protection of like, Oh, this game sucked. Well, well, it's Brad's fault. Brad was the one who'd made all the design decisions and stuff like that. But all you got to do is deep dive and find their names and you're going to see who was responsible for it. But just the, the reason why I bring up this specific example is because BioWare has suffered from this. The people that made BioWare, which was one of the greatest video game companies of all time, one of the greatest narratives uh, of all time, they created Mass Effect and Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Old Republic is considered the best Star Wars game to date. That team's gone. They don't work there anymore. Bioware is now floundering. And uh, it's just, it sucks, dude. It just sucks to see the state of these companies after so many bad 
decisions. And hopefully after this destruction of the either internally with so many people leaving these, these studios or with the audience deciding they don't want to be involved with these games anymore and not buy the games, you'll have something new. People will create something new. And we're seeing that with the old Blizzard team. They're creating something new. It's time for new shit. Yeah. And Hollywood feels it. Comedy feels it. Why do you think Tim Dillon is such a success today? Tim Dillon's one of my favorite comedians. I, I discovered him during the uh, pandemic. And he, I would highly re recommend everybody to watch his podcast with Whitney Cummings about how you and others can create your voices, your channels, and grow an audience that way instead of having to go to LA and New York, as I was talking about. Yeah. But the, it's just, it's so crazy sometimes too, to think about how so much has changed. There's almost, there's almost like this structure of, if I don't, you know, if I don't get a golden globe, then I'm not a success. If I don't get an Academy award, then I'm not a success. And yeah, I'm shooting for that shit. I wanted to get it by the time I was 35, but I'm 35 in a couple of weeks. So probably not going to happen. <laughs> Let's go for 50. Right. <laughs> But what am I doing to get there? I want to tell a great story. Can that great story exist on the internet? Yes, it can. More and more artists are starting to figure that out. I don't have to go through the old ways of doing things. I don't have to go share a room with Woody Allen and feel sick to my stomach. I can release this the way I want to release it. And it's... It's scary, but it's also so exhilarating as soon as you start to get a little bit of an audience. Yeah. And that's, that's the name of the game, man. It's that inconsistency. If you have, if you have a thousand true fans, a thousand people that are willing to spend a hundred dollars on you a year after taxes at 60 grand, that's enough to survive on your own, at least depending on where you live. But that's enough as an artist, I think, to get yeah. started and just go up and up from there. What do you what, going back to what you're saying? Um, what are your thoughts on when uh, like, why do you think it is that games get seem to get worse as far as like these? There's like mm. a lot of big budget games. I feel that like we get uh, uh, I mean, Cyberpunk. Look. Holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I worked. I worked with. I worked with CD Projekt Red. There's a oh, video dude. series that I produce. It's on YouTube called Be a Pro. You see me with this with the like the Witcher haircut, the buzz sides, and then the long hair on top, man. I was all in. I definitely had a lot of fun working with them and I think they're good people. They're perfectionists, but it's too many people from the investor class calling the shots, not the people that are actually making the games. Yeah. I can see that. When you have a company like Bioware, they have a game called Anthem and they're showcasing what the game looks like in a trailer at a trade show called E3, which used to be the biggest trade show, but we'll see what after the pandemic. <laughs> and then it's revealed that the entire trailer was fake. It wasn't actual gameplay that made it to the end game or the final game result. It was all pieced together and fake to make it look cool, to make the investors happy, to make the executive side of the company happy. Dang. Then you have this huge fallout. You have an investigative reporter go in and interview people and reveal this stuff. You have employees from multiple gaming departments across different publishers and developers that are tired of the bullshit. They're tired of being overworked. They're tired of the, the crunch, they call it, where they're working 
16 hour days, 12, I'd say 12 days a week. <laughs> feels like 12 days Damn. a week. <laughs> but they're, they are working all day, nonstop, to try to get this game out there. Why? Because they have a deadline, a deadline set arbitrarily by the investors. So they're burning the, the candle at both ends. You have all the fans waiting for this date because they promised, they promised at this date. And then you have all of the employees being worked to death to try to make this date. So the investors go, well, we got to make the date so we keep our investors and the audience happy uh, because we can replace our employees. That mentality is what's really screwed over the entire video game industry right now and would screw over any yeah. industry when you think that employees are that expendable or when you try to tell them they shouldn't form a union. So when you have that going on, and then you have ideas, last minute decisions, or scope creep. What I mean by scope creep is you are trying to put a game together and you have all these features and all these great ideas. And you keep adding to these great ideas and you're promising these great ideas to the audience. Well, you have to half-ass all these great ideas. And so you yeah. get a half-ass game instead of, no, cut this, cut this, cut this. Or we don't know if we can do this 100%, so let's not say anything. But let's why keep... How about these games? Why are they, why did they used to be good? Like some there's a lot of games where they had they had all the features, but then like the new one they, they just they take them out. They take half of them out, and it's like it's less of a game. Like why even do that? Is it is it what you're saying that that's investors' decision or? Yeah, it's the arbitrary release date, and because these games have more. When games have better graphics, the graphics require more real estate real estate of actual hard drive disk space on the gamer in the game file. And if you're starting to put more and more of an emphasis on graphics and what the final image is rendered, depending on the polygons, then you'll cut features. If these features are causing too many bugs between what you're really trying to go for. So as the higher fidelity of games were, was coming out and investors wanted more, microtransactions or uh, financial turnaround for these games, they would want to cut these features. It's, it's passion. I mean, I, like, like StarCraft II, they, they, they couldn't have local area connections to StarCraft II because Blizzard said the technology wasn't there yet. What the fuck? The technology was there in the previous game. No, it's just because they were afraid of piracy. Yeah. And so because they were afraid of piracy, they took out a feature. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a feature that caused by taking out that feature, it caused so many headaches, so many delays, so many fuck ups with live event production, because you still had to be connected to the internet on a server to play Starcraft two online. Do you have to be connected to somebody to play on the same game console for a fighting game? No. All you got to do is plug in another controller. So just that, arbitration of making it more complicated just for the sake of stopping the pirates. So you would see it there and then you would just see greed where investors yeah. are people that didn't grow up playing video games. See, Oh, there's a way that we can capitalize more off of the one of our customers. Yeah. Well, let's take out all the skins that you could have unlocked by playing the game. Instead, you have to buy them. Yeah. I hate that. You no know, stuff like that. I hate it. I yeah. hate my, but I hate those kinds of, you know, I get uh, there's certain micro microtransactions. Uh, it's like, okay, it's understandable, whatever. Give, you know, you need to make the middle microtransactions. But like when it's when just the whole game feels like a microtransaction, 
that's kind of when I start getting like, uh, that's a bit much, <laughs> you know, you know, make like the extra skins or things that don't matter, you know, make those micro transactions, you know, if it's really cool and you just want it, that's understandable. Or you just need some extra points. You can buy points or whatever. That's, that's okay too, but at least make it unlockable too <laughs> in some way. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Make it, make half of the stuff unlockable. I think NetherRealm has a good balance where you can unlock everything in the game on its own, and then you can earn the currency by playing the game, or you can buy the currency to save time and get stuff in the store that unlocks, but the store is on rotation. So you can't just unlock whatever you want via money. You can unlock it if it's on sale in the store via the rotation, or you just got to unlock it. Wait one second. Was Spawn, I could have bought Spawn with in-game money? No, no, no. I'm well, I don't, about, like, don't trick me now <laughs> the store like the skins and stuff like that no no to buy the combat packs then yes you have to you have to spend money but they're in the they're in the selection they shouldn't even mm -hmm. have in the selection i hate I, I hate the recent wwe games but at least those when you have to buy an extra character you have to go to a little a special little area to know that you bought that character when they when they put it right there in front of you right there on the map it's like psst, you're teasing me you're fucking teasing me right that's, now. That's really... that's the tactic. Pyramids to now, man. Damn, damn, damn car salesman. That's who's running Nether Netherland. They're fucking Netherrealm. Goddamn car salesman. Well, I mean, <laughs> you just got to think that every Mortal Kombat game is a hundred bucks. The experience pretty much is going to be a hundred bucks. And then aftermath was what another forty. Yeah. Um, but you got all this story. I mean, you got a whole cinematic story out of it too. Yeah. I mean, I hear the I hear the complaints. I understand, but we don't live in a world where you just get one one disc for sixty bucks anymore. That doesn't exist. That world doesn't exist anymore. I don't. I don't think it ever will. Um. So it's it's the value of what you're getting, and it's the relationship between the audience and the creator of is this the value that makes sense? And I think it's very very difficult for all of us, myself included, to remove myself from the bygone era of I go to a store and buy the game and that's it. That's the only monetary transaction that I have. I can still have that. And I do a lot with a lot of the games that I buy digitally. Um, but with a game like Mortal Kombat, I know there's going to be more shit to buy. <laughs> uh, so I'm not like too upset about it <laughs> compared to a game like Evolve where they had six different starter pack pack whatever's to unlock when the game launched it was just so confusing um but yeah i mean these it's all about making money baby i mean <laughs> <laughs> i guess <laughs> money you gotta make money you gotta Shit. make the money yeah making that money todd, yeah. todd mcfarlane's not doing this for free <laughs> do you think he sent spawn over for free no hell no todd mcfarlane's a jerk off no, he's creative, but he's an asshole. <laughs> a lot of create, a lot of creative people can be. Yeah, I, I, I had a horrible him. conversation with him on the internet. <laughs> oh, you did? Damn. I, I, I want Spawn, then, the animated series, the HBO series, to continue. I want it to continue, and, and I think and Michael Jai White uh, confirmed to me that uh, <laughs> that's that Tom McFarlane's a dickhead. So, yeah so well because todd mcfarlane wants to direct the spawn movie yeah which is why I, it's taken forever to get made and i just say just continue the animated series just do what you did in the animated series todd be be at the be at the beginning with your intros 
talk about the theme of the episode, have, give it that 90s nostalgic feel, but let's rock some serious animation. I think that's the right call to make. Animation fucking rules, man. The latest yeah. Mortal Kombat film, Scorpion's Revenge, is animated, and it was dope, and it's done very well, by the way, numbers-wise. What um, were your thoughts on uh, the, on the 90s uh, Spawn movie? It was, I saw it in theaters with my dad. Again, this is kind of like within that whole, what what year did that come out? 97? 97, because uh, the reason why I know this, (laughs) and I I should already know it, but uh, Michael Jai White was forced to turn down Jax twice. Once to go play uh, Tyson, which then they wrote Jax out of the first movie. And then the second time, his uh he was uh they they told him don't do don't do mortal Kombat, do spawn do spawn and uh, he really wanted to do mortal Kombat, but they just i think they offered him a little bit more money and then his managers were just saying do spawn do spawn do spawn and so the, uh, he he missed out playing jacks on both the uh both the old uh mortal Kombat movies and uh he, he took uh the mike tyson movie and then spawn in 97 uh, yeah that was that was a good call to take spawn instead of annihilation you know, because Spawn, Spawn is good. I know it's flawed, but it's good. And why it's good is because they captured Michael Jai White was able to capture the tortured soul of Spawn. John Leguizamo was able to capture the pins and needles uh, <laughs> under your skin yeah. Clown yeah. Of, of the clown of the violator, yeah. and you could feel that those behind the production and Cali Astro was cool. Like it just, it felt good. Like I, it's probably I just wanted, dated now. It's dated. Yeah. We all wanted a rated R version. There is a rated R version. I haven't seen that version. I don't think, uh, DB Sweeney was cool back in the day. I yeah. mean, what, what cutting edge or what was that? What was that ice skating movie? Uh, uh, shoot. Uh, I think it's the cutting edge. Where he was a he was a hockey player, uh, but then he got injured. So he oh, uh, yeah, Mighty Ducks. Mighty, <laughs> not no, not Mighty Ducks. That's a video. <laughs> I was like Emilio. Uh, anyways, yeah, but you know everything feels dated before Marvel. You know because of the Blade Kevin doesn't. Does Blade Fe- feel dated to you? The Kevin Feige approach. Um, just some of the blood effects. Okay, just some, but that's it. I mean, I. Uh, I hope this new Blade is rated R. I heard that it's not good. Yeah, I know. I heard it's PG-13. We're only doing Deadpool R. (laughs) That's what they said. We're only doing Deadpool R. But, you know, I mean, you can get away with some creepy shit and just have one F word in a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I Um, I, I feel that. But when you're dealing with ghosts and goblins and vampires and shit, China's not going to touch that because of their superstitious government. So... Why? <laughs> Sometimes they try to make things not R so it can have a bigger play in China. It's like, well, why? If you're going to be dealing with supernatural stuff and they're timid about having that, it's just going to be why? one. It's going to be Blade versus uh, uh, Morbius, probably. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they do, but that would <laughs> that Morbius movie is done, right? Like, yes, I think it's it filmed is. and complete, but they just haven't picked a day of when they could release it yet. No, no. Uh, obviously, with a pandemic, every all the studios are like, maybe we can release it in theaters. Maybe let's just push it back a little longer. <laughs> let's just push it back. They just want to. Just push I know. It back. I know the filmmakers are upset, but HBO Max did it right. They said, "F this. Nobody's coming back to theaters this year." I'm not walking to a theater this year. 
Yeah. I thought about on HBO. I thought about going and seeing uh Kong versus Godzilla or mm. uh or Mortal Kombat in theaters, but I don't know. I don't know if I'll do it. Cause you guys, yeah, it, it's it's just it's it's not even that I'm scared of you know going to the theater. I'm just it's the convenience, you know. I I have a pretty yeah. decent sized TV. The audio's fine, and I can uh, go to the fridge whenever I want. I don't have to, you know. I can pause it. You know, I can pause it. Go to the fridge. Exactly, you know? dude. I have a friend coming over tomorrow, and we're gonna watch Snyder Cut, and we are so pumped to watch it. The idea right now, if you were to put in front of me, hey. You can watch this on the biggest IMAX screen, full sound. You'll be with a crowd of people socially distanced, you know, some popcorn. Or you can watch this on your 65-inch OLED on your Klipsch Yamaha sound system. And you can smoke all the weed you want. You don't have to travel. You're not going anywhere. I'm staying home. (laughs) I'm staying home. Yeah. I'm staying home. Okay. <laughs> Filmmakers, listen, I know we all crave that social outing and eventually we will get there one day because theater, performance theater, performing is not going to go away. That shit's been around since the start of time. <laughs> and the only thing we've really figured out since is how to commerce it and create businesses around it and structures around it, which is great. When we feel comfortable being back in crowds, whenever that'll be, when everybody's vaccinated, maybe next year, maybe this fall, maybe this summer, maybe this spring, who knows? I don't want to go back to a theater because you don't have ushers that tell people not to look at their phones. I have almost gotten in fights. I'll go to jail. I'll go to the morgue <laughs> if somebody's checking their phone during a movie that I've been waiting because it's, it's, a, it's a respect thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, just a, it's a total respect thing. Why even chance it, risk it when I can watch it from home and probably have a better experience? So if movie theaters get their act together and really create something special where you want to go to the location and see it, okay, we can have that discussion. But until then, I'm good to go, man. Yeah, man, I had that that feeling watching. uh, uh, It was the premiere night of Star Wars Last Jedi. And not only was the movie trash, but someone uh, talked (laughs) Not only, but some people were just talking behind me. Oh. <laughs> just yapping. I'm yeah. like, God, shut up. What is going on? I'm trying to watch this damn movie. I was, I was, I, I saw that movie at the TCL Chinese Theater where all the big premieres are. I oh, saw yeah. that at midnight. We had midnight tickets. Oh, yeah. And I walked out along with two other friends. And my one friend said, Guys, I don't think I liked it. I mean, we were stunned. We were all stunned. I couldn't believe what I had just seen of who approved this. <laughs> who, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> uh, it, bro- it, broke, it broke something inside me and was one of the reasons why I decided to leave LA. Because if, if the system that I had been thinking of I wanted to be a part of thought that was good, you know, I, re- I respect Ryan as a filmmaker. He's a good oh. filmmaker. Knives Out is fun. I respect everybody that puts together such a feat when it comes to a blockbuster film, right? So respect, but story-wise, I mean, just talk to Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill hated the story. Yeah. Uh, This is not what a Jedi would do. A Jedi wouldn't risk everything to save his father 
and then years later be like, oh, my nephew's getting haunted by some Snoke guy from across the galaxy. What are we doing? Yeah. I I totally get Luke becoming jaded. I get it. That's that's George Lucas thought of that. That's coming from Lucas of having a jaded yeah. Luke. But just as Mark Hamill suggested, have him come back, witness Han dying. He he meets up with Leia. He catches the lightsaber. He's back in action now because the threat has gone bigger. It just didn't make sense, dude. It's, yeah. And I feel so bad for all the actors yeah. now that they can talk about it. How pissed off they are. But funny enough. About- I uh, not to cut you off. Sorry about no, that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that a lot of the a lot of those thoughts, you know, it kind of like uh, it, it um, it's like a reflective of like the Wandavision divide, but the opposite. Mm. And but mm. I because I I feel like there is a growing theme of uh, I don't know if this is the correct terminology, but I'm going to use it this whole entire conversation nihilism yeah. i feel like there's like this weird growing nihilism within film and within or within entertainment uh I've, i kind of first noticed it with kong skull island where the director kind of outright admitted yeah there's a lot of nihilistic you know imagery in here where like people do things and it doesn't matter nothing matters the story doesn't matter it's just you know entertainment blah blah, blah where people are like because yes. uh I, you know there's scenes where you know someone pulls a grenade and it's like, oh, I'm sacrificing myself. Yeah, to kill that's exactly. It's exactly what I was thinking about, man. Yeah, the guy pulls the grenade, and the monster's like, ah, fuck you, boom. And then, because it's so counter to the, it's not just nihilism, but it's counter to the tropes. Yeah, it's counter to the tropes of, hey, we're making another monster movie. How can we make it different? Well, there's going to be a big monster. There's going to be explosions. So you, so much is the same, right? Yeah. What's the one thing that sticks out to me the most from Kong Skull Island is when that dude pulls out the grenade and the monster just says, no, fuck you. And yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, I, no, I'm, no. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to articulate it that way because it's so fascinating how that image, that scene has stuck in my head. And also just Samuel L. Jackson's character of being so jaded and emotional. At, well, yeah. it makes sense after Vietnam. But the heart of that nihilism coming from the Vietnam era within that film yeah. makes sense. But yeah, I, I totally, totally know what you mean. But you, but you, and you're seeing that a lot more in, in just films where like, oh yeah, uh, her, her parents don't matter. Oh yeah, this doesn't matter. And, 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 and that makes people mad. But then when you, you bring it down on this, on this scale of WandaVision where, you know, we're just off the, we're just off the cuffs of uh of Endgame and, uh, you know, all the, you know, these giant Marvel movies that did, you know, that had a big matter feeling. We're looking for it to matter again. And it, 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 it wants you to care about the little things where all the other thing, where everything else wants you to only worry about the big explosions, the big, the big ending. This wanted you to pick out the, the little, the little heartfelt moments, the, the emotionalness, this connection with Wanda and everyone was looking, everyone got mad because, because that bigness wasn't there. That, that, uh, if Disney took Wanda's grief seriously, they would not have cast Evan Peters as a red herring character. Okay. Yeah. We can, everybody can, nobody can argue against that. There's no yeah. argument against that. Disney can argue against that. And that is the, I'm knocking on Kevin Feige's door to go, Hey, who the fuck approved this? You yeah. don't do this. Evan Peters, I would fire your agent <laughs> because you were the best part of X-Men from Fox. Now you're going to yeah. be a laughing stock. 
a boner joke. You're a boner He's joke a boner now, dude. Joke. So unless <sighs> unless they go deeper with this, where he was the one in witness protection and they just had him out there for a little while, and that's what Agent Wu was talking about when he said witness protection, and it turns out that there's something even deeper going on with with the time, so whatever. But if you have fans make better stories and ideas than what you did with your show, then it's Star Wars all over again. It's the prequels all over again. We're, we're so hyped. We're so excited. There's beautiful moments. Yeah. There's beautiful moments that turn yeah. into memes. I mean, the whole white vision versus vision. And when he says, I request elaboration, that's a meme now. And that's the most powerful thing that's going to come out of the show are these memes. And, and the beautiful scene between Wanda and Vision when Vision is talking about grief. But again, I've lost all of the beautiful... I haven't lost, but the beautiful sentimentalities are covered by why the fuck did you hire Evan Peters to play Quicksilver when it had nothing to do with the crossover or the contractual obligations or just the meta thread of storytelling that you could have done. It was, And they did that joke already. They did that joke. And and when I say joke, I mean like in Spider-Man Far From Home, in all of the in all of the trailers, they have that one scene where Mysterio's all like, you know, set, you know, he he did that big reveal. Yeah, I'm from a I'm from a different dimension. I'm from a different mm-hmm. world. And then, even though it's it's my favorite, it's it's probably my favorite scene in the entire MCU is the bar scene where he's oh, just yeah. like, oh where yeah, where Mysterio's Dude. just going off. You did this to all these stupid idiots. They thought they they believe in a in a multiverse. Who? What idiots would believe that? You know. And they literally did that again with Evan P. That 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 f you to the fans. They did it again. That first time it was like, okay, you got me. The second time, you know, fool me once, shame on. Uh, no, well, I guess it's shame on me again. <laughs> shame on you for keep pulling me, you dickheads. You can't punch down. You're punching poor people. you're punching poor people well you're you george rr martin talks about this when you set up you have pieces of a story that build to a conclusion and it's a cathartic moment because you as an audience member have been tuning in figuring out digesting what's happening and yes were the theories around WandaVision exuberant now that we've come to the conclusion of it? Yeah. But when you cast Evan Peters, <laughs> what the fuck did you expect? Yeah. This is not the audience's fault for having high expectations. This is the fault of those producing deciding to use the threads of fate and contract negotiations and buyouts to have an inside joke amongst themselves. And those that are laughing are them and a couple people who are kind of sick of these YouTube personalities that keep having their sources say this or that or having these exclusive scoops and they turn out to be wrong, right? So there's, I understand the fun meta joke there, but put that fun meta joke in the show. Don't make it a boner joke, <laughs> right? Like it would be better if Evan Peters was a part of like Evan Peters became the mascot of the contract or yeah. the mascot of the sale of Disney, 
where yeah he was the quicksilver once but then he says goodbye and like they all get to say goodbye like it could have been a great way for the those x-men cast members to say goodbye where they have to bring evan peters back to their dimension and he's like all right i did my job bye everybody you know <laughs> I just when you have so much potential and none of that potential is met that's why people are upset but this on my review on my youtube channel youtube.com slash mr joshua gray the wandavision review that i state talks about the prequels the star wars prequels how i was waiting to see who this master sifo deus was the one that had approved the clones never see him in the movies I wanted to see Qui-Gon Jinn come back because it was rumored he was going to come back. Plus, he was the first Jedi to understand how to come back in the life force. Don't see him. Yoda talks about him and Qui-Gon talk about him. Don't see him. So things that were built into the narrative thread of the story and were rumors outside of the story off from the filmmaking never materialized in the movie. And I, as a fan, was waiting for those moments to happen. And it wasn't until going through WandaVision did I remember my expectations of the prequels and how those expectations weren't met. So WandaVision had some beautiful moments. The music was great. The Agatha theme was great. And I was walking around the house going, WandaVision, a number of times. <laughs> but now it's going to feel like it was an unsatisfactory event to me. Yeah. I applaud it. I respect it. And I also like the meta of the sitcoms, but it reminded me why those sitcoms are so dated. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> and how we don't watch that type of form of entertainment anymore. So I watch sitcoms. You need to calm down. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I remember 1996. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So but 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 what do you do after endgame? Right? That's that's yeah. that's the most difficult part about it is. What do you do after one of the biggest movies of all time? The biggest events ever. Yeah. Ever in media. You know, yeah. what do you do after that? And that's always going to be a problem because you can only, I guess, you know, you can only fight such a threat. When I say that, you know, comic books are still going on. <laughs> you know, it's comic book stuff. But, <laughs> but cinema wise, you know, it's like at some point it's going to, you're going to be just doing mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again. And, you know, you're going to be copying scenes and, you know, actions and fight <laughs> sequences are going to look very similar to the other fight sequences. So, you know, you can only get so big. Uh, well, that's, to... that's why Elizabeth Olsen's performance was great and a highlight because when they did focus on grief occasionally, uh, you could understand that emotion and that scar of yeah they won but what what do they what is she gonna do now and that was another thing that felt kind of off of like okay so all the other avengers and the team members are just doing off doing their own thing nobody's checking on wanda nobody's giving wanda a call hawkeye's not calling her saying like hey do you want to come over for a family barbecue yeah i mean it just if for her being alone like that and suffering didn't really feel like a team especially after the loss of tony I would, I would feel the team would try to band more together instead of split apart. But who knows, man? I mean, that, that, again, you have to create some sort of tension in the writing. Yeah. You have, I mean, you have to. Um, but, we'll, you know, we'll see. I, I am still optimistic. And what I also must tip my hat to and, and applaud and shout from the rooftops is how 
all the actors brought it, especially Paul Bettany. I mean, he, he, oh, yeah. his performance was amazing. Uh, so there's, there's gems. There's just like there's gems in the prequels. <laughs> just like <laughs> no, my, my, uh, my co-host, one of my co-hosts loves the, uh, he loves the prequels. Uh, but he, he, he likes to just like the lore that the prequels kind of give him, you know, to like look at, he likes the, he likes the, um, that war drama, the political drama in two, like two is one of his favorite movies. Like, you know, a lot of people rank two as like the worst, uh, wow. but two, he loves to just, just the conversations in those, in those rooms and like the, just the background to the wars and stuff. For some reason, he just fucking loves it. <laughs> so <Okay>. I, I, <laughs> something for everybody. There's okay. something for everybody. All right. I mean, I've I seen so. uh, I've seen tree porn before, so there's something for everybody. <laughs> Evil Dead? What? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Google NATO NATO sexual. Don't Google it, but keep in mind if you Google NATO sexual, tree fuckers will <laughs> will appear. <laughs> yeah, I'll stick to video games, man. <laughs> uh uh, in fact, I actually made a I made a NATO sexual porno for Pornhub, but they uh, they deleted it recently. They said it was too graphic, but uh, I wish I was joking. But uh, they deleted my video. <laughs> Poor fucking Pornhub. <sighs> you and almost every other video got deleted off that platform recently. So, oh, did it really? In good company, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget how many months ago it was, but I guess it was in the news. Pornhub had purged so many videos um and just to keep up their verified videos okay whatever that means <laughs> i was so pretty cool. mad I was like what the hell <laughs> wasn't that extreme i haven't i haven't gone on i haven't gone on to research really the differences <laughs> but next time on on i'll mad. see I'm like it's just a fat man rubbing his nipples on trees like what's up <laughs> anyways <laughs> that took a dark turn yeah <laughs> but uh, don't have to google it now thanks <laughs> um, uh, uh, back to mortal Kombat. yeah uh, i'm so i'm so excited for the film we're gonna have at the end of the month uh why should the beginning of is because of when we post things april 1st we're gonna have cabal from the new movie he's gonna be on the show so that's really cool oh the guy who played cabal yeah Oh, that's amazing. Like, yeah, I'm glad they got to officially announce that he's in it. That's yeah, you, cool. you're, you're kind of kicking off our three weeks of Mortal Kombat stuff. It's you, then we got uh, Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat 3, the guy that portrays him, uh, John Turk. So oh, amazing. It's gonna be, nice. So it's going to be him, and then we're going to do Cabal in the new movie. It's kind of like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Beautiful. <laughs> it's going to be pretty cool stuff. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's, I, and I, these actors really, looks like they're really bringing it. Oh, yeah. when it comes to the martial arts and that's some of the one thing a lot of them are uh, stunt a lot of them are stunt people mm -hmm. and they're like dedicated stunt because like the guy that plays cabal is actually the the lead actor in uh so the uh and in uh, what am i trying to say kong versus godzilla the lead actor stunt double is cabal so the guy playing okay. cabal is the lead actor stunt double in kong versus godzilla that so warner they <laughs> brothers family yeah nice <laughs> so i think that's pretty cool uh the only one that I was kind of disappointed about was probably um, the guy they casted as, and and not like looks wise or not even performance wise, just uh, mentality wise, uh, they casted the uh, the guy from Power Rangers. Uh, in as uh, was it Luke Kang? Is it Luke Kang that he played? Yeah, uh, Ludi Lin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dude, that shot him. in the trailer 
when he's when he's casting that fire dragon yeah everything that Ludi lin is bringing in that shot is there as an actor no yes and Liu kang is coming alive and then yes. he that fire on the ground yes. that shot is what sold me yeah no so, i mean I'm he gonna... looks cool it's just like yeah. I'm, that's what i'm saying mentally like when he like like it's, it's and it's kind of that whole uh um captain marvel deal where captain marvel said some things and pissed a lot of people off or whatever you know it, <laughs> and they don't really hate her as captain marvel they just hate her as a person <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. i mean so but like for, for for this guy he kind of was just like why would i do my own stunts only jackie chan can do his own stunts but he was like really upset that people were like why didn't you do your stunts i don't do my own stunts blah 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 like he was like talking down on people that do their own stunts and it's, it's just ins- kinda... it's because of insurance no, I understand that, but yeah. you don't have to. You can say that instead of like come up with this whole story. Like, oh, it's oh, who would do that? I'm I'm a real actor. I don't do my own stunts. Only only people like Jackie Chan can do their own stunts. You know, it, it's kind of it, it feels it's a disrespect. It feels mm-hmm. disrespectful to people who are putting their body on the line and doing that stuff. When you when you when you word it that way, you know you you know what I'm saying? Or am I being crazy? <laughs> well. You know, somebody on my, excuse me, somebody on my uh, channel mentioned the same thing. And, you know, it's like, if the way that he said it, if it's flippant and wrong, he's wrong. But I'm not going to discount him because. No, yeah. I understand that. And then it's, it's funny because like, you are pressured not to do your own stunts as an actor because of insurance. And when you make that decision, you're always going to be faced with the audience telling you, oh, you don't do your own stunts? Fuck you. (laughs) And that gets pretty fucking annoying. (laughs) I guess it does. (laughs) Because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I'm like, Tom Cruise is 50 years old doing his own damn stunts, writing. And you know how much the insurance is for his movies? How much? Millions. Millions. When he broke his ankle on the last Mission Impossible movie, they had the. That's why they bought the insurance. So you know why they're not going to do another Patrick Stewart Picard series, because nobody's going to want to insure Patrick Stewart because of his age. So these insurance costs, especially when you have a, a your a main actor like Ludi Lin who is in Power Rangers, if he gets injured in a in a scene that they could have filled it with a stunt actor. They got to pause production, and that's going to cost more yeah. money. So that actually happened mul- with it, uh, with Maze Runner because you know Maze Runner that last yeah. Maze Runner movie is going to be cut into two parts, and then uh, Dylan O'Brien got injured on set, and then they ended up making it just one full movie, and they they lost a lot of production time. So it, it has happened before. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I see, I see yeah. what you're saying. So I I would put that I would put that context out there. And then fit Ludi Lin's statement within that context. And then we can say, hey, Ludi Lin, not the best way to phrase it. And then yeah. people are able to make it work within the world of uh, stunt acting and being an actor. If you can do it one day, great. But you're not less of a performer because you're not. Let's have a kick-ass movie. That's the job of the director. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so if the fans are upset with a shot between a stunt performer and Ludi Lin and how it cuts in between, then blame the editor and the director. All right. <laughs> and let's stop judging somebody for saying uh, one statement that was stupid. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've said stupid shit yeah. before, but, it, but 
and I and I get where you are coming from, and I get where my friends coming from because it feels like it's disrespectful, and you're standing up for people who are stunt workers. But I'm pretty sure stunt workers who worked with Louis Lynn will probably let it go. Be like, oh, oh yeah, probably. I get it. You know, I yeah. get where he's coming from. Or oh, that was a stupid <laughs> thing he said. It's all good. I've had so many beers with him. I don't give a fuck, right? Yeah. So I think hopefully when this movie comes out, because again, seeing Louis Lynn's performance as Luke Kang with that fire, that got me sold. Uh, that that it's awesome. Yeah. That we just we just have a great experience, and that's why the director is the director. He's supposed to put all that <laughs> shit together and make it seem like the stunt looks incredible and it looked like Ludi Lynn doing it, but it wasn't. And that's the role of the stunt performer as well to make yeah. it look like it was the actor, but it's somebody else. And I will say this stunts should be a category for the Academy Awards. They should be. They should be. Uh, they they, I be. think they are, but I think they're hidden. Are they, are, 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 don't they have, it's like, uh, cause I, I know there's like a, there's like a select few awards that they just don't get announced on the, uh, on the on the there are more technical show. awards yes but i don't think there's a category um i'll look it up actually right now yeah yeah because i think because i think uh the only and the only reason why i know this is because obviously i had to do my research on people that i was about to interview and john turk has a uh an award he has i think he has some sort of award for the stunts in dark knight so dark knight uh won uh so won an award for stunt stunt acting there are yeah. no oscar categories for stunts well uh, f for, them. St- <laughs> for, the, for the oscars there's there are awards for stunts but for the oscars stunt people have this is from google stunt people have actually been campaigning for an annual stunt coordination award for almost 30 years some say it's because there aren't enough stunt people in the academy to create the award while while others uh, quoting Stafford, argue that the Academy is just slow to change. So yeah, uh, stunt people are crucial, man. I mean, yeah. And when you have a performer be able to do their own stunts, awesome. But that performer has their own insurance policy or, or is bought into <laughs> that insurance policy. And I don't know if Ludi Lin has made enough money off of Power Rangers to afford that type of insurance policy. Yeah. You know who has? Tom Cruise. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. So, that, so that's my thoughts on that, man. But uh, I really like the Ludi Lin yeah. interview he had with David Cage. And, uh, and you know, it, I would say, I would say based your opinion, both off of a bad statement yeah. and a good interview <laughs> and, and go from there. Uh, going back to uh, a previous uh, conversation we had, uh, I don't know if it's directly tying into it in my brain, but it, in my brain it ties into it, but maybe it doesn't going back to like the nihilism talk and uh, Oh yes. And things that, uh, things that don't matter. Like, you know, the filmmaking where, you know, people are shooting scenes and it's like, Oh, it's just to be cool. Like it, none of this matters. The actors don't matter. The characters don't matter. It's just these set pieces, you know, and we're just trying to achieve a goal. If you were making you laugh or making you go, Ooh, ah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it a lot of movies now. Uh, and I see it a lot in, it's kind of made me turn off. Uh, I, I have a big turnoff for some reason on comedic violence. I see, and I, I see a lot more comedies now have like this gruesome. That comedies will have gruesome violence. You know, comedies aren't really stuck in this uh, realistic format anymore. They're like, oh no, the world doesn't matter. It's just a movie, so let's just you know blow people's heads off and shoot people. <laughs> I don't know. And for some reason, when you make jokes out of, unless it's, and and here's where like a, I have a weird switch on and off because I used to be 
huge into gory movies and extra gory stuff. You know, I was a huge Saw fan. Uh, I, I still am a huge Saw fan, but like mm-hmm. something happened. I was binge watching Saw, the Saw, <laughs> the Saw franchise. And I guess I was in a relationship or whatever. And they were just kind of like, why, uh, why do you like this stuff? This is sick. And for some reason, that one little comment like turned a switch in my head where I'm like, okay, well this, yeah, this is point like this right here. This violence mm-hmm. is pointless. Like sometimes it works, you know, saw one's fun. Saw two's fun. Then saw three comes and they're just like, there's the whole, there's this, the scene that really did it for me was that like, uh, that there's that agent lady and she puts her hand in the acid and she does, she does, she, 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 yeah, success- but the ribs, yeah. yeah she successfully completes yeah. the task and then her rip, you know, her rib cages gets, it's like the most brutal death in the fucking is the most brutal looking death in like the saw franchise to like seemingly an innocent character. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like a turn. I, I see that more and more, right. It's not, not as graphic, but a lot of people I, I, I've been watching people and like their comments on things and like, and see if anyone else has any similar feelings. And like it happened again in um in a Jurassic World, where the where that girl that girl gets picked up by the uh, uh, pterodactyl and dropped into the river. And then the uh, the the big the big shark I can't remember what it's called, but <laughs> the big uh, megalodon shark. It's not a megalodon shark, but it's like yeah. a megalodon dinosaur, and it comes and eats her and eats her like three times or whatever. And you go and like there are people that like just her death was kind of a turnoff. Cause it was like, she didn't deserve, to, she we didn't, didn't deserve it. Yeah. She didn't deserve for us to see this like this, you know, uh, that, and I, I can't even really stand a lot of the more newer final destination movies where like, uh, the kids are laughing that their mom got fucking rock shot through her brain. It's like, nah, this is like, this is just sick. But then, but then I'm super excited about like, fatalities in Mortal Kombat so that's kind of like a weird it's a weird mix I I, I just it's just weird to me like I just I'm, I'm starting to see it more and more where where like this weird comedic this com, like these people don't matter even though you're trying to get us invested in this story you were invested now in these characters random characters uh and they just want to kill them off violently and it's just like it's just way different from that you know these comedies or adventure movies compared to action movies and uh, I just wanted to get your take on that. And uh, if you have any similar thoughts or. Yeah. It's a difference in quality of writing, right? You know, if you were to go back to a, a more refined script, let's take the Jurassic world example. You would have had that assistant. It'd be a little bit more flippant or mean to the kids or something just to have one, one line, one scene, one look where the audience is like, Oh, I don't like her. Yeah. And then, then she gets killed when she does get killed. You're like, ah, too bad, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) because it's this karmatic approach. They have to say something or do something mean, or they're a jerk. And then something happens to them. They get their comeuppance. Yeah. When you have it happen to somebody that's innocent or just doing their job, it's horror. And you're, you're thinking about it for the next five minutes. Like, fuck man, like, damn, taken out. That could happen to anybody. That could have been me. Okay. (laughs) And yeah. And it's a, and it is it turns into a different vibe. So that's where you have to have that trick in the script writing for it. This comes back to my earlier point of destroying tropes. Oh, you have a mean person; they're gonna die in the movie. Well, let's not have them be mean. Let's just be in, let them be neutral. Let's just let them be whatever, just doing their job, and they're gonna die. So it's trying to interrupt the the trope, trying to stop what people can see coming. So they're interrupting what the audience can see coming, trying to be original. And it's a consequence of two things that are unoriginal. One, 
it's a remake <laughs> of a previous film. And two, it's everybody responding to the first season of Game of Thrones. When Ned Stark, spoilers, gets his head chopped off in the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones, that changed everything. Ooh. I remember all the conversations I was having with everybody, how surprised they were that, that happened. And then also yeah. like, well, well, Sean Bean, he dies everywhere. But that the good guy, the hero is dead. Yeah. And so, so many other writers and other people felt the ripple effects of that and they put it in their own Yeah, you could see that in like, that was the whole gimmick for a while of Walking Dead. Like, oh, who's going to die mm -hmm. this season? Ex what the, which, which main character is going to die? Exactly. And you Man. can only do that so many times, right? I watched, I watched Walking Dead until the governor season and then i stopped I'm like, oh I no i i'm I still watching it i'm i'm one of okay. i'm one of the few i still watch it was just them. it was just too many people doing dumb decisions i'm like i can't do this i can't keep watching this <laughs> um but hey happy for them is still going so i i think it's a mix of that of of trying to interrupt the tropes trying to be different but also the ripple effect of the ned stark death and when you have that nihilistic approach it haunts you as an audience member. Again, like the, the Skull Island, I think about that scene still. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, man, that guy just, just straight up died. <laughs> uh, you know, um, the uh, film by Spike Lee that came out uh, over the uh, pandemic. The Blood? Um, the five, the, the five the Bloods, yeah. yeah. I really, I think that was my favorite movie of last year, one of them. Uh, I really enjoyed it, but also had some nihilistic very nihilistic approaches but the goal of that movie was to get past nihilism okay that goal the goal of the film the arc of the hero was to get past the anger and that's i think that's the core part of it or the third part is that we as a country are in really bad shape and artists and others left right whatever don't care about your paradigm i care about you as an american citizen uh, we're getting fucked and we all have that in common and it seems every rotation of voting every new politician or new promise that comes in says it's going to be better and it's not going to be better we've been living crappy policies for the last 30 40 years and it's all coming to a head and the reason why i bring that up is because you would have nihilism in previous epochs of times when the empire was falling apart, when the empire was crumbling, that's where the nihilism was starting to get stronger yeah. and stronger in the art pieces and the plays. And that's why I feel we see a lot of people embracing it of like, oh, no matter what I do, I'm fucked. So everybody's fucked, good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's scary. It's scary to watch. Um, so, but I'm happy to hear that you and others in the world respond to if something's violent and it's like, ah, oh, that didn't feel earned. That was, uh, this is weird. Yeah, is that what it is? You think that's what it is? It just, it just doesn't feel it does, earned. It doesn't feel earned. And then the violence in Mortal Kombat, uh, there's gonna be some motherfucking gruesome scenes. No, yeah. No, and, and I love, looking, like I said, I love, gru I love fucking violence and brutal shit. You and know? we're looking forward to it because we've signed on for it. And I'm guessing there, we may have some good people die in the movie. I don't know. I mean, I don't, if that would, that would be like, Oh shit. Like that person that I like died, got ripped in half. Ah, like that. I'm not looking forward to that, but 
that further intensifies the gruesome brutality of Mortal Kombat. And it's what we've all signed up for. Yeah. We know what we're getting into. But you have to have taste. You, even if it's gory violence, you still have to have taste because there is a line. And when you ride that line, that's where you can, real fi- you can find genius. Yeah. But when you go over that line, that's when it gets grotesque and you've lost your audience. Yeah. And, and it's funny because uh, some of the scenes I've mentioned, I mean, they're not even really, they're not even like rated R violence, you know? It's just like. Mar- dude, Mars Attacks, Mars Attacks is, the, that violence still freaks me out. I haven't, I don't think I can watch that movie all the way through. When people <laughs> get zapped and they turn into skeletons, it's just something about it. Just the, just the sheer, if that movie is nihilism, 100%. <laughs> but just the sheer, just the sheer comedy of it yeah it contrasts to the insane horror like when michael j fox is reaching out to sarah jessica parker and she's closing her eyes and she has his hand she opens her eyes and his hands there but the rest of them's a skeleton that creeps me out still right it's not it's nothing like too nefarious it's tongue-in-cheek but just the concept of it yeah of you know, ugh, ugh. but that's what they were going for, right? That's yeah. what you get out of the market <laughs> yeah. And that was PG thirteen. Yeah. So again, it's it's the taste and the style. Um, but even with video games, right? We got some really violent shit in the games. Sometimes, I mean, and back to that, I don't I don't even think some games are violent enough. <laughs> I don't think some games are violent enough. I like or sexy enough. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? But but you have genius designs a group of people that have to come up with what the fatality is what the brutality is for all these different characters all the animations and for it to still obviously get a mature rating and for us audience members go ah oh wow oh the first couple times but then not have nightmares about it yeah you know yeah what happens when video games become more and more and more realistic? I mean, I'm Mortal Kombat 11 looks amazing right now. Next gen, I have no idea how it's going to get better. I mean, but what do we do if, if it's starting to become like, hey, this is too real? <laughs> I mean, the first games were real too, people. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but the blood was cartoonish. I mean, the blood oh, yeah. was just like, red MS paint splashes coming up, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you were well, playing as literal people. That was pretty real. It's a case-by-case basis. It's a taste-by-taste basis, yeah. right? You know, it, uh, it, it's really not that violent, but it's freaky yeah. because of the emotional connotations of, of what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's fascinating too how much more the imagination can create the suspense rather than seeing it. Um, do I mean there? There's a number of I know the Conjuring's big, and there's some other big horror films out there. But do you think? What do you think the horror genre is lacking, or do you think just the embracing of nihilism has become? Because well, it's everywhere, so right? You, and that's yeah, kind of so what, what we're saying, right? The horror, the that horror stuff is in is in just about literally everything. I mean, do you, cause back then what was horror? I mean, look at uh, Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was scary that he, uh, he was in your dreams and stuff. That's scary. But the character himself is kind of goofy. What was scary is when they drug Johnny Depp's character in the bed and then blasted his guts all over the, f- <laughs> that's what that was. So that was sick. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was, yeah. that yeah. <laughs> they blast his guts and that's fine. It's like, and for some reason watching that, 
even <laughs> I'm watching that wasn't too bad nowadays because we see it now in our comedies. We see it now in like uh, in this is the end. I don't know if it was in this is the end, but that's just kind of like you know random deaths of celebrities mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. just trying to I'm trying to think of like you know these uh, certain comedies. Uh, random stuff. Sometimes sometimes violence is just too random now too. Whereas where at least if it if it if it if it pushes the narrative then it's it seems okay right when the violence pushes this narrative this is a terrifying entity and it's chopping this person up in their sleep getting them in the bed and sh- blast blasting their blood everywhere you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh but but when it's just it, when it seem when it, they seemingly are just doing it for the shock value it's desensitizing us in a way that is unsettling you know even in a yeah. even in the harley quinn movie they had like it was mostly ungory and then they just like blew that dude's leg off <laughs> they just blew they just blow the guy's leg off whatever and like they they have that bomb he has that bomb or whatever and he just like blows his fucking body into pieces or whatever and he falls over the uh edge of the whatever he fell over i can't remember that pier mm. <laughs> i don't know if you watched the uh harley quinn yeah movie. yeah i know what you mean um it's, again it's, it's choices and I, th- I just think some of the choices just don't work or they're going for a shock value or they're going for hey how are we different than marvel yeah we're gonna show somebody blow apart I'm i mean not, even it's that simple even uh, deadpool was able to do it creatively and deadpool was fine because you knew it was the whole movie and you knew what you're getting into it wasn't like you were not taken back by the violence like yes this is awesome this is cool if for some reason it's just maybe it's, yeah what you're saying is how they wrote the narrative to build up to that was poorly you know what i mean the the rest of the film isn't nothing like this scene they just threw this scene in and deadpool is in his outfit for most of the violence done against him both the meta version of i wear red so out uh bad guys can't see me bleed but also yeah. if you see somebody in a in a cartoonish outfit get dismembered it's less jarring than seeing a human with flesh be dismembered yeah so it's choices there visually that uh, allow them to be like all right he's gonna be dismembered oh that's a creepy thing on paper but like oh but he's gonna be in his costume so he's gonna look cartoon i don't don't mean cartoonish in a bad way just he's gonna look colorful he's gonna be like dressed up differently than a human so we're not gonna be as associated with it um and, yeah. and there's a place for violence. You know, there's a place for even like even tamer movies. But like but as, we, as we keep repeating uh, the build up to it, one of my favorite scenes is that finale in District 9 where like he has that, that, that energy gun and just blast people and they're fucking exploding. But it's just it's just like they're trying to escape now. You know, it's just, you know, it's just these yeah. were bad people that were chopping the his stakes, arm off and yeah. stuff. Stakes and so, raised. <laughs> so yeah the stakes have been raised they're now trying to escape and just like this is random gun they don't really know how to control it and it's like and they fucking blasting people into pieces and shit and and that shit was good that shit was intense yeah, <laughs> so, district nine i haven't heard that title in a long time you haven't <laughs> you haven't watched district nine in a while not in a while no i got i uh i love a uh, neil neil bloom is it neil bloomkin bloom, bloom, yeah yeah i for chappy we did a marketing endeavor with Sony Studios and Twitch called Chappy oh, cool. Challenge uh, with Evolve. And I went and saw about 20 minutes of the movie. 
and knew that it was gonna bomb after no don't oh, say yeah. that oh, i yeah. like all of his movies i like all of neil blumkin's movies it was it was johnny five it, was, it felt like a like a ha- like a african remake of johnny five <laughs> south african yeah and it bombed um <laughs> uh but i knew it was gonna bomb because of this d'antward crew it was like no americans aren't gonna go for this it's not gonna work and it didn't and uh the chappy we had um a graphical asset with him as if the players were playing against chappy but we couldn't get chantel copley to play chappy so they had me record the lines for Chappie and then put a filter through it to make it sound more robotic. Dang. That'd be so, good too. I, I, I think I, that's one, that's an actor I really like too, is Charlotte. Uh, uh, yeah. Cooley. I liked him. He, he plays a great villain. I loved him. Uh, he was like, like literally the best part of uh, Maleficent and uh, cause he's the villain in Maleficent. And then, um, the King, yeah. and then he played, he played a bad guy in that first person movie where there was the whole movie was shot in first person. Oh, uh, henry something like that hardcore yeah. henry yeah hardcore henry and then okay. most recently what uh, a movie that made my top five list of that year free fire i don't know if you've seen free fire where they're like on mm. a they basically it's like a, it's like a bunch of famous people and charlie coopley and they're on this like this they're on this warehouse and it's just them shooting at each other but it's like it's just just i just love it whenever i love it whenever movies are able to make like these single location films work yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yeah. It's so, uh, I, that was a really good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, District 10's coming out. I, I, I think they're working on District 10. So that's like that. So that's why District 9 slowly going to start making uh, uh, more uh, mentions in the near future. We've but, hit, I mean, we've, are we over 10 years, District 9? When did District 9 come out? Two, uh, I think it was either, I think it was 2009. Dang. I think it was 2009. Wow. And, do you remember the hype around District 9 and why it did so well? Uh, because the person behind it was going to do Halo. Yes, you knew. How'd you know? That, that, that was the hype. It's on Mr. Joshua Gray, baby. I know <laughs> no, my shit. That was the hype. Yeah. That, that the hype was, was around Halo. We're like, oh, Halo's just the guy making this is going to make Halo. Right. Yeah, exactly. They were going to give him Halo, and I guess they pulled out. I don't know, I don't know what happened. But uh, they were like, mm. everyone was like, okay, if this movie does well, He'll get to do Halo, so let's go and watch this movie. So everybody was going, and yeah. actually, I mean, it made its money back. Yeah. At, you know, I mean, he's get obviously he made enough where studios are like, hell yeah, go make Elysium, go make Chappie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Both, so both bad films, man. <laughs> um, it's cool. It's cool for you to like them, but but Jordy B didn't. I understand. I understand. The but also the performance of Shalto and also the concept of the story and the trailer. Because when it was people being interviewed about the aliens, you didn't know they were, you thought it was about refugees. Yeah. And, and then in the interviews, it's finally revealed that they're aliens. She's like, yeah. why don't they just go back to where they came from, whatever planet. And then you see district nine and then oh, the yeah. ship above it. You thought, whoa, oh yeah, okay. So great marketing campaign, and the movie yeah, and the movie was filmed interestingly because you know it's like it's half it's half shockumentary because you know, the shockumentary craze was rising, but then it was mm-hmm. also half actual film. So I, I liked how they were able to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah I should go back and watch it. It's been a while. It's free watch. on it, it's free on one of the uh, Plex. I think it's free on Plex. If you have a if you have a Plex Roku or something, you can go to like the Plex channel 
I don't know. Or I can just rent it for like five bucks. Okay, I do, do that too. <laughs> In 4K instead of go downloading another goddamn app. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate you looking out. Thanks. Um, it's funny. It's like, uh, oh, like I, I haven't downloaded Peacock yet. I need to. I'll get to it. I love Amber Ruffin over there. And then uh, uh, one of the um, news guys. And um I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get that. Now there's Paramount Plus, which replaced CBS. So I gotta get, it's like, I don't need any more. I don't need any more right now. I'll get to it when I want to. And that's the beauty about it. All those shows are not, they're not going anywhere. I'll find them when I have time. I'm not, there's no fear of missing out except for what's happening on Disney Plus or HBO. <laughs> typically, <laughs> so, don't want to miss out. So I have, a, I have a question to ask you that I ask all of my guests from Joel McHale to Michael Jai White to whoever the hell's. I literally have to bring this up every time. <clears throat> have you been contacted by the Illuminati and uh, have you joined them? What's up? What's going on with that in, your, <laughs> in, in that quest? Uh, have I been contacted by the, like, would you count being in the same room as Illuminati as being contacted? I would. So, you know, yeah. I, I was once, I, they, they tried to recruit this show once. It was very mm. weird. We, uh, we had a really horrible uh, interview. It was one, literally one interview was really bad with uh, uh, Jason Ellis from the Jason Ellis show, Sirius XM. Uh, he's not on there no more. He has his own podcast now. They fired him uh, this year. <laughs> but, uh, mm. but, uh, but he shat on us on the radio. We were feeling really down. Like, oh, man, he just shat on our podcast on the fucking radio. <laughs> He just shat on us and talk shit. Uh, it was respectful, you know, it's respectful enough for talking shit, but it was still talking shit, <laughs> condescending, very condescending. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we were feeling down, so we we're just taking like, we'll just take whatever guess. Fuck it, we don't have to take, we don't have to get these fucking, uh, you know, these fucking high profile people and radio people that are gonna go and talk shit about us. Uh, <laughs> he talked shit about us because one of our buddies was hooked on drugs and we didn't know and it, 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 that don't matter <laughs> but, uh, but uh, uh, we got this lady on named Jessica Ross and she was doing this weird eye festival I thought it was uh, I thought it was like that burning uh, not burning man but the one that uh, that screwed everybody over at the uh, the random island oh, fire yeah fire fest I was like I was like is it like fire fest <laughs> she was like no no it's real <laughs> but uh but uh she contacted us with this random lady who then we interviewed some random actress who was going to be an extra where she shows her breasts in that Matthew McConaughey movie <laughs> and so and anyways but that lady her name was Raphael and she was all like I don't know where she had her money and that's when I know the Illuminati is real because there's people out there. I'm like, I don't know how you're rich because you don't do nothing. And then I, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what you do. And then it turns out you just film old people banging chicks on fucking off of <laughs> old people. Did you? She feels like she was like filming old people uh, bang people on a yacht. And I'm like, this can't make her. <laughs> how's this making her money? This ain't real. This is fake. She wanted us to interview some lady that sold dresses, and we're like uh no it's fine we don't we don't give a shit <laughs> sell dresses huh yeah like what the fuck <laughs> but anyways that was my first uh, interaction with the illuminati types where they just have seemingly a vast amount of money that came from nowhere <laughs> it came from nowhere have you been yeah. uh have you been offered a vast amount of money that comes from nowhere yeah that's called uh esports and that's why i left <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know the rich, the investment class, 
are so out of touch. <laughs> I'm reminded about what happened to this planet about 12,000 years ago. There was a great catastrophe. Every culture calls it the Great Flood because most likely it was an asteroid that hit one of our oceans and caused the, flood. the flooding of all the major coastal cities. Well, the people that lived in those coastal cities most likely had a pretty advanced civilization, so advanced oh, yeah. that there are still legends and rumors about it. Yeah, Atlantis. But the uh, exactly, but the survivors of that were able to travel across the ocean, or as the Incas and Aztecs and others said, on flying serpents across uh, the water, and they would arrive and teach these nomadic people that didn't live on the coast. They were the rednecks. They were the ones that were living more uh, off the land and in, in towards uh, the center of the landmass. Yeah. And they came and taught them how to do agriculture and taught them what they could from their civilization. I don't know how to make a phone. I don't know how to, how to make a microchip. Yeah. I know how they work. But I think the number one thing that separates me from the Illuminati is I know how to farm. Yeah. You know, I know how to till the earth. Yeah. And uh, that's really how to separate people is yeah. are they so are they self-sufficient or if you put them in a city with 500 bucks and a phone number, would they be able to survive? Right. <laughs> so, it, you know, is there a ruling class that's controlling everything? No. Is there a ruling class that's controlling how they get money and how the world will make them more money? Yes, absolutely. Of course. But if there was a ruling class that really was in charge, things wouldn't be as uh, as chaotic. I don't think. I think I think the chaos is part of the yeah. part of the individual ruggedism of um. <laughs> I, I care about me, and ain't nobody like me, set me, set and me. that's Illuminati. <laughs> that's Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, we we did a whole episode about uh, about like the fall of Rome, and uh, well, actually, we start with the Book of Enoch. And then it goes to the flood and it shows mm -hmm. where the families went after the flood and how they, uh, we talk about giants and stuff and alien semen demons, all kinds of stuff. We, yeah. We, the Anunnaki, the right Nephilim. The, yeah. All that shit. Yeah, all, we, that, all, all that is just from comic books back in the day. It's all <laughs> the same as Zeus and <laughs> Superman. It's all the same. It's just myth mythological stories yeah. to try to understand what's happening on earth. But there may have been some other fucking giants back in the day. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, well, the the thing because the reason why we bring that up is because uh, because I, I, I we bring up this theory where like yeah, Atlantis fell, and then obviously on the coast of Florida there was like this really advanced uh, uh, Native American tribe, and but on the opposite end you had the Native Americans that were that traveled through over the uh, the frozen the frozen whatever from russia to alaska right yeah but that that's that's starting to be not as um accepted as a theory oh the really bearing straight walking yeah. Over, yeah no it's it's there may have been some of that during a specific ice age or uh mm -hmm. difference of the ice age but that's not where they had come over originally there was there's more pockets of tribes and dna i forget the name of the people it starts with a d but they were already drilling into rock and shit yeah. thousands of years ago before the Bering Strait. Um, yeah, we're learning more and more. We're learning yeah. more and more and more. So I shouldn't say we, sh we should <laughs> discount the Bering Strait theory, but yeah. th that's not the only way that people came across, I believe, is what the current accepted what, theory is. Well, what what I had uh, researched was that like 
there's pockets of tribes that I guess came over, however, that was not through uh, the flooding of Atlantis, like these Atlantic coastal. Because I believe that Atlantis was multiple islands that were scattered across the world. It wasn't just one place. Mm-hmm. Atlantis was a this civilization that happened to be in multi-locational areas. And uh, uh, I do believe that giants were with them. And I think giants came with them to North America because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Native American tribes that account they they put into account meeting giants when coming here like a lot of like like really like all like old tribals tribes uh they account giants being here already uh when they came over and that uh they had to kill them all because they would just they said they devoured they, they their hunger was never uh uh fed i mean you know what i mean they, they, they were always yeah. hungry they would they would eat the sheep they would eat the they would eat their livestock you know they would eat all the food and they, they, they could never be satisfied and so uh that they had to kill the giants well uh, i wonder if i wonder if giants maybe is part of our ancestral difference of tribes because you have the neanderthals you had I mean, there's a number of different homo sapien sapien is the majority of us, but we all have different relative blood mix, whatever from ancient, ancient, ancient days from those different um, tribes merging. So I don't know if maybe that could have been part of the vernacular well, of mythological, of mythologically speaking, giants come from, and I'm going to say, that's why I say alien demons, because whatever, which one is it is, mm-hmm. but uh, mythologically speaking, giants come from, uh, aliens and or demons sleeping with people in, in, in their tail. You know, they, they slept with people. They taught people uh, how to use the earth is like how it says in the story is that like, oh, they, they, they taught uh, humans how to use the earth, how to utilize everything, how to make things. They, they taught them advanced. Uh, they taught them advanced uh, carpentry or whatever. They, mm-hmm. You know, uh, agriculture, agriculture. Yeah. Agri- yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that. and that's what led to the theory of like, okay, they taught them all this stuff. They went out. That's where Atlantis comes from is like, they were taught this advancing technology, you know, how to, you know, everything they could use. They were taught how to use the earth properly by these other beings, you know, demons or aliens, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and then when it all fell, it all fell, uh, it just like that, that, that memory of it has just been wiped, wiped away. Not completely. Obviously we see tribes and there, there were, there's still advanced tribes that were able to keep some of those thoughts or whatever and keep mm-hmm. some of that uh, technology around or, or more advanced than your typical tribe. Uh, but ultimately all that is gone. All that. Yeah. I mean, we have some stone structures and records and go, go Lepi Tepe in Turkey, a 12,000 year old city made out of stone. That's far beyond what people could imagine what's capable back then. Yeah. Uh, And then all of these different, like a grid line, different sections of the earth where the sun sets on the equinox, you have these temples that are built on top of even more ancient temples that were built that show impeccable craftsmanship with stone that's beyond what people thought is capable of that time and for that to occur over and over and over again across all these different ley lines on earth that line up with the sun yeah there probably was some sort of connected civilization that knew this stuff and the civilization that was able to exist and prolong the teachings the best was egypt yes all of our stories the bible pretty much is all just stories from egypt rewritten uh the ark the ark of the 
the covenant that's egypt um yeah. that that's originally an egyptian story the egyptians focused on life after death or consciousness whatever you want to call it for thousands of years studying it and that's probably what they inherited from the previous generation now why is it the egyptians were the ones that seem to have uh had the most uh success because of the ver the fertile soil of the region because of the trade routes of the region but also um well it, it seems that it just worked out <laughs> maybe luck but it the building of the pyramids those three pyramids and the sphinx is a marker a time marker for earth to remember a significant event happened twelve thousand years ago and the reason why we know it's 12,000 years ago is because of two things. The rain erosion on the Sphinx makes it old, like 12,000 years old. And the position of the pyramids along with the lion shape of the Sphinx doesn't line up with anything in the night sky during this equinox, which we're currently in. in uh, we're moving, I forget which one we're in now, Pisces, and we're moving into Aquarius. So we're in Pisces now moving into Aquarius. The previous uh, sign, the sign that would have been in the sky was Leo 12,000 year, years ago, the lion. And when Leo the lion is in the night sky, or at least where, that's where the earth is lined up in the procession, the three stars on Orion's belt line up perfectly with the three pyramids. The Egyptians knew or learned from the Atlanteans or whatever previous generation you want to call them about the procession of the earth, the 76,000 year cycle, yeah. the night sky, all that stuff and said, we have to build a time marker here so that future generations or civilizations that understand this shit know something big happened during this time of, a, of a Leo the line in the sky when these three stars lined up with these three giant pyramids. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, dude. That's crazy. Because uh, one of the <laughs> one of the Indiana big theories Jones we stuff. have is that the um, that we mentioned in, in in that particular episode. This is a really long episode, <laughs> but we uh, <laughs> but we we had mentioned that uh, I can't I can't remember it because I, I have a horrible memory and so I forget I, I can't retain information that <laughs> so it sucks. But uh, but one of the kids from the story of um, the Ark. Because like uh, you know uh, Noah had you know so many kids or whatever. Yeah, he had three kids. Um, the idea: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham. There we go. Mm -hmm. Ham. He inherited Egypt, right? He he inherited that land because like because there was the whole thing where you go off to that land, you go off to that land, you go off to that land with your wives. The 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 running theory is that Ham's wife was Atlantean. And so when they went mm. off to Egypt, they carried with them the remnants of what was that idea that those those uh wow. those memories. Wow. Yeah, because the they had wives they brought with them on yeah. this. They, all, they, they were all they were all able to bring yeah. one wife, I believe. Or yeah, I think it was one wife. Noah had two wives for whatever reason. But well, <laughs> the story of Noah is based off of Gilgamesh. Yes. Um, but just in a in a different flavor, in a different form. But it's it's really about you know something huge happened and it wiped everything out. Yeah. And then and then the recreation of of society or of, of civilization really. Yeah. So and, it, and it's the book of uh, Enoch, I think, 
that really starts mentioning giants and like a lot of this uh and all mm-hmm. these civilizations and things like that yeah the book of enoch before it was taken up to the sky yeah <laughs> yeah i was that was i wonder what that was made out of but I mean, that's maybe that's what happened. Maybe maybe there was a group of the Atlanteans that saw the asteroid was coming, and they're like, "All right, we're taking off." <laughs> right? And they took off. It doesn't land. Right. Do you believe in aliens and stuff? Um. Yeah. I mean, the the even even from a mathematical probability, yet the answer is yes. Um. You know, I think the more that we're understanding the spectrum of light and what we can and can't see and different dimensions in the multiverse and also yeah. the psychedelic trips I've done and having seen the multiverse and other shit. Yeah, they're transdimensional. Uh, right? It's, I, you know, I think that there could be um, definitely something if we can't travel to their planet based off of the speed of light currently, we'll have to create something faster than the speed of light, then maybe that's what they've created. Or they're able to fold time or go through via different dimensions. Not not entirely sure. Um, you know, when it comes to like ghosts and shit like that, I think there's definitely a, an energy and an aura around places. And maybe ghosts are just glitches in the multiverse where you're able to see something that happened a long time ago, but it seems yeah. like it's the same day because time is folded on itself because of the energy difference. You know, I don't, I don't think people are crazy. I think people lie, <laughs> you know, to make them feel, to make themselves feel special or to make, make themselves feel different. Yeah. But it's, there's, there's just something more to what the scientific realm can currently showcase um that doesn't that doesn't give evidence for a judeo-christian god or any type of deity but it does give evidence to some sort of consciousness or energy or wave pattern or something that we do tap into uh you know the phenomenon of of i thought about you and then you call like right at you know stuff like that 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 exists there you can't deny that doesn't exist and for so many people for for anybody to say oh it's uh, it all boils down to coincidence. It's it happens too often to all of us to where it doesn't feel like coincidence. And if it's all in our minds, okay, cool. But <laughs> just the just the sheer probability of it doesn't make it feel like it's just coincidence. Yeah. Who knows, man? I mean, there's uh, from a from a personal standpoint. I used to be an ordained minister. I've served. I was. I went to seminary for four years. I went on a mission for two years. I left religion entirely after that because there's just too many, there's too, too many people that are not included in some of the plans where you have to, you have to hear this, feel this, do this, or you're not going to make it to the next region. It's like, well, that doesn't feel like a great system. (laughs) I've been kicked out of a church before. Yeah. (laughs) I've Um, been kicked out. But the beauty about it is how much we have in common as humans and studying the history and, and p- perhaps the fall of the civilization and seeing that humanity and recognizing math and history and storytelling is not a new concept. The only new concept is the way that we digest it yeah. using electricity. Electricity is what's changed everything. You know, <laughs> the, the happiness and being with your family and tilling the earth and nutrition, none of that has changed. What's really only changed has been convenience and electricity (laughs) for so for so many things and i i have found that within my personal journey to be to give me some more optimism voices from the past giving me more comfort for the human experience to give me the strength i need to move forward to create something new 
Ooh. <laughs> 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 so uh, I have a, so uh, we're, we're, we're getting to the end of this, uh, this podcast with you. Uh, thank you so much for being on. I do have two, uh, two final one. Well, I have a statement and then a question. Okay. A statement that could be a question. I have a statement phrase as a question and then a question. All right. <laughs> so, uh, well, what are your thoughts about, you know, what, what, do you think that the, we have two things coming up. We have Mortal Kombat, obviously the movie's coming out in April. And then uh, we have obviously uh, the day after this episode airs is uh, Star League. No, no, <laughs> Snyder League. Snyder, Snyder League is one. Justice League. One more. There's one more. One more. Uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Oh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, that's coming out too. <laughs> Are you excited for these three, uh, three big things? Uh, what would you rank them as far as excitement goes? Ooh, in terms of excitement. So we have. Let's let's go over the category. We have Zack Snyder's Justice League. Okay. Falcon Winter Soldier. And what was the third thing? Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat, which comes out April 16th. Yeah. I'm the most excited for Mortal Kombat. Okay. I'm excited for all three, but I'm most excited for Mortal Kombat because a mature, brutal Mortal Kombat story with martial artists in real locations, I'm in. I'm sold. Uh, So I'm most excited for Mortal Kombat. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, oh, uh, a? Uh, yeah, uh, you don't have to talk about the um, uh, Zack Snyder one. Uh, that's fine. You can skip that one. But <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 stoked for the Zack Snyder one as well. I think that whole endeavor was need necessary for some healing uh, over the Warner Brothers Studios. Zack Snyder helped promote one of my shows for Mortal Kombat. Uh, I was great, very grateful for him for that. And I want to see Dark Side. Darkseid is one of my favorite villains and what I've seen from the TV spots for Darkseid. Yes, please. So super <laughs> stoked for that. I got a friend coming over. We're going to have fun. And then for Falcon Winter Soldier, this is the buddy cop kick-ass take names show that I think will help those that felt wanting from WandaVision. Oh, okay. No, they're two different types of shows, right? Oh, WandaVision yeah. is more horror mystery sitcom-y where this is going to be buddy cop action. I want to see the drama of a world post Captain America and the embrace of Falcon becoming this next symbol and where Winter Soldier finds some place now. Where does he find himself in all of this? And these two really not getting along. So for me, it, f- it sounds like a fun buddy cop adventure. <laughs> Uh, that I'm totally down for. I respect both of the actors. I think Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie have great interviews on YouTube across a number of different subjects. So I want to see them succeed and I want to see this show succeed. Let's make sure the villain kicks ass too and they're bringing back Zemo. Yeah. So it sounds like a recipe for fun. I just hope that it doesn't involve kids. I don't want any goddamn kids, man. <laughs> I have enough kids. In WandaVision, no, I don't want any kids. I don't want them to have to go rescue a kid. We're gonna go save the president's kidnapped daughter. No, no kids, <laughs> no kids, <laughs> no kids at all. Uh, I hope you had fun talking to me. I have one more question. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can get you back. I really, I really liked having you on. Hopefully, Thank hopefully, you. we can that get you fun. back on uh, after uh, Mortal Kombat releases, and we can do maybe like a review of it with you on the show. I think that'd be really cool to get you back on if you uh, sure if you're available. And then uh, last one. 
this is actually for uh, i'm gonna leave it in the podcast because this is like the the this the mother the mother of all the stuff we do but <laughs> but uh uh we do do a secondary channel for uh, youtube and uh i, I, I want to do uh plug this right here this question we do this thing called ask a stranger where we ask uh strangers uh versus battles and uh i've seen it in your streams i watched your streams i've seen it in your streams but you never really answered them and i don't expect you to answer them so maybe i should phrase this in a way that you don't actually answer but it's it is <laughs> but uh uh are you team sub-zero or scorpion and if you don't want to answer that and you're scared to answer what do you think because we're going to ask 100 strangers scorpion or sub-zero who do you think will come out the victor in that which sub-zero be han or quiet oh in, no in general <laughs> i know i understand that's but that's cheating you can't ask a hundred strangers that <laughs> well well i mean it, it, if you somebody who knows their mortal combat shit that should be the question that these are strangers the off the side nah, of the street gotcha okay gotcha we're good then then you would say be han um <laughs> Uh, no, Kwai Liang's dope. That's, that's the brother. That's a good one. Uh, today, Sub-Zero. Here's why. Sub-Zero and his clan originate from Edenia, but they were cast out by Sindel to Earthrealm and made their culture and their civilization on Antarctica as cryomancers. Antarctica used to be green. And there used to be people that live there. There are ancient maps that show it. So as the tie-in to all of our ancient talk, the clan that Sub-Zero comes from used to be part of those ancient Atlanteans possibly, and they had the power to control ice. That's pretty dope. So I'm going to stick with Sub-Zero. <laughs> but I do love me some Scorpion. So here we go, everybody. Let me, uh, this is, I'm going to cut this to where it like, makes sense for that other video. Uh, there you have it, everybody. We're going to see right now. We're going to ask a hundred strangers here on Taking Back Nerdum. Who will be the victor? Sub-Zero, Scorpion, Joshua Gray says Sub-Zero. Let's take a look and see if he was right. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah montage of yes and no's and Sub-Zero's and Mortal Kombat's and people taking me. By the way, hello, I'm taking back Nerdum. I was saving that for the end. I love it. And I, I love now that I'm going to picture you in this uh, St. Patty's Day outfit <laughs> taking back Nerdum. <laughs> but dude, thank you so much for supporting my channel and coming and saying hi and shit. Oh, hell man. yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. That's awesome. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, on take, over on taking back Nerdum, is it, we're kind of relaunching it. We launched it back in the day when um, when Andy, Andy Signor was first canceled. And we thought, uh, we're like, oh my God, movie fights is dead. Let's do nerd fights. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my time. Yeah. That was my time. Uh, <laughs> and it was just <laughs> at the end of the day, what killed us was it was hard to, uh, it was hard to co co coordinate people to show up. <laughs> so yeah. we're like, okay, this is dead. <laughs> but, uh, but we're relaunching it. We're not, just, we're not doing the debates anymore. It's just like a standard, standard channel talking nerd stuff or whatever. Cool. Uh, take it back. Uh, we uh, we we are starting a new thing where we, like I said, we do ask a stranger now, and we just did a like our version of a bad lip reading, and we have the Justice League <laughs> TBN cut part one. So we have the first part of uh, Justice League <laughs> of us <laughs> of us doing bad lip reading to <laughs> to Justice League. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> the TBN cut is what we're calling it. 
Cool. Uh, we added Deadpool to a scene with Wonder Woman. Uh, we added farts, <laughs> lots yeah, of farts, I... and uh, and Mario music, and all kinds of shit we did with that. So uh, I wanted to make sure to plug that right here at the end because obviously trying to build that channel over there. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for thank you so much for coming on. Uh, obviously, I've been watching you. Uh, uh, it's really cool to watch your channel. I really like the fact that you uh, you're not like other streamers. You know, a lot of streamers. They're kind of very, uh, I wouldn't say dickish. They're not dickish, but they're very like focused. Where like, I'm playing a game right now. Can y'all chill down in the chat? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, I really like that you're accepting of people when they just like throw in random stuff and they're just having like, you know, side conversations and you're able to like integrate that. And like at the end you talk about like, yeah, y'all were talking about WandaVision. Let's talk about WandaVision. Let's talk about the Snyder Cut. I know you guys want to talk about that. So I really like the, uh, the inclusion you have. Uh, where we're able to sit, sit back, watch you game, but it also feels like it's, it, it doesn't feel like we're just watching someone game. It feels like we're on the couch with you chatting while you're playing. And that's, that's what I, yeah, that's yeah, what I'm going that, for. So and I really, I, <laughs> I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, you know, especially after yesterday's stream when I had yeah, that, that fucking guy dickhead. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I thought, should I stop and go into uh practice mode and see what he's talking about and i never i, t- I tell people no we'll do it friday we'll do it friday so i don't get tripped up and he's trying to communicate to me i don't know exactly what he's saying and then i'm feeling bad about myself because i'm like well i'm reading his shit and i i'm trying to explain to him why that's not making sense but then it's like he's berating me and i'm like this is why i don't do this because now everybody's going to be focused on him being an asshole when all i should have done was just time him out when he's like what the fuck why can't you do this combo be like hey man we're not about that vibe we're not about that life yeah yeah and i've honestly been thinking i thought about it all day yesterday of like could i have handled that situation better i need to have some like i just thought as a streamer oh here's a conflict for the first time that's happened in a while how do i deal with it better and you giving me that compliment was exactly what I needed to hear, man. <laughs> Not in the morning. And uh, yeah. And the, and the time I picked too, because Andy and others are, they're live at night. Yeah. And that's where the majority of shows are. And because of my current schedule, let me be live during the day where people can turn me on, uh, turn me on. They can turn on my stream um, in the background during work or whatever they're doing the, during the day. So I feel that it just all, all making those decisions and being consistent to my schedule has shown the growth and has given me the optimism I needed to really go, okay, I can focus on a YouTube channel that's just my name and do whatever the fuck I want and I'm gonna make it fun. And if it blows up, great. And if it doesn't, hey, that's cool too. At least I know I made the dedicated time to put all of myself in it. Yeah. Because if I don't, if I'm just wishy-washy, a couple of years ago to go down the line, be like, well, I never really did give it a shot. And I was like, ah, no, I am. Cause I can't really bartender do anything else <laughs> right now. Uh, but I do, I do have something in the works outside of the 420 event, which is taking up a lot of my time, but I do have something else that I can't announce yet, but when I can, uh, it'll be cool. I think people will be ha- oh, really yeah. happy about it. All right, man. Well, that does it for me. Thanks yeah. so much for having me on and no then problem, just, man. Was- just ping me when it's out and I'll push it on, on my social medias. All right, man. Thank you so much. I love you. Love your work. Uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime later in the future. Uh, you know, when Mortal Kombat and all that stuff's out, we can get Yeah, let's do on. it after the movie. We'll do a review. We'll all talk right, about man. the movie for sure. All right, see you, man. All right, dude. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. 
Hello, everybody. Uh, for those that uh, stuck around or skipped ahead, we just had a great interview with Joshua Gray. But here we are. We are here. I was drinking Mutagen by Ingenious Brewing Company over in Humble, Texas the entire time. This beer is a solid craft beer. Uh, solid hazy. It's, it's, almost, um, it's almost thick enough to be considered a milkshake IPA. So I don't know. I don't know what they're. I'm still confused on the distinction. Maybe maybe because this IPA doesn't have lactose in it. Maybe it has to have lactose in it. But this is a really thick, hazy IPA. Uh, it it tastes like the word silk. <laughs> it's you know what I mean. Uh, uh, it tastes like the word silk. It doesn't taste like silk. Like but it tastes like the word silk. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's like it's just very. Uh, how do I explain this? You, you guys might have remembered, and you guys might know about uh, "Ghost in the Machine" by uh, Parish Brewing Company. We reviewed this beer a while back. Uh, Mutagen tastes a lot like the "Ghost in the Machine" beer. Uh, the difference being that this is just a little thicker. Uh, I guess comparison would be. Uh, like a latte versus a breve, where like a breve has a bit more froth. It's more, it's it's a, it's thicker than a latte. Latte's thicker than coffee, and that's where we're at. You know, coffee is an IPA, and not taste wise, but you know what I mean. Th- thickness. You have coffee, regular coffee IPA, then a hazy IPA would be a latte, and but this beer, it's right there on the cuff of being a milkshake, so it's right there at a breve, where it's just a little thicker. Than the standard hazy, it's a, it's thicker than those hazies that we just had, like the Ghost of the Machine. I say just had; it's probably been a year now. But um, this is really good, and actually, it's it was worth the price. It was uh, it's a solid beer. I'm glad that I was able to get my hands on it. It definitely has um, it has more fruity notes. It's like these, it's like these weird, it's like this fruity. It's just these fruity notes, thickness, fruity thickness. It's like it's about as, it's 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 about as thick as a stout kind of, or maybe like a like a tame porter. It's about as thick as a tame porter. It has a very nice uh, yellowish color. It has a very like it almost has a green tint to it, which is pretty cool. Like ooze, like the, like the mutagen ooze. <laughs> but um, it has a very solid color to it. Uh, it tastes really well. Like I said, it tastes just like a better version of Ghost of the Machine, which Ghost of the Machine is held in held in high regard uh, for a lot of beer drinkers. So take what I'm saying that way. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give Mutagen a nine out of ten, and I don't pass nine out of tens very often. But this is a solid IPA that if they, I would drive another two hours to get my hands on some extra. Uh, I have two four packs, and I'm going. To, I'm going to. <laughs> and what sucks about IPAs is you got to drink them fast, you know, to get all the flavor. Because if you let them sit after, the, you know, I, I, people say three months, but you re- you really don't want to go past a month. You know, you don't want to go past a couple of weeks. You know, one month is about as about as much as you want to age your IPA. Three months max, obviously. After three months, don't even bother. It doesn't even taste like the same beer. But uh, fresh mutagen is a solid, you know, fuck, nine. I'm, I can't give it a ten. 
I, I should. No, fuck it. Mutagen Ninja Turtle Hazy IPA is a solid 10 out of 10 IPA. This is a good beer. This is a good hazy beer. You know, I always compare IPAs to um, Jabberwocky, but let's be honest. Jabberwocky is just a solid. Jabberwocky is just a really high IBU standard IPA. So it's hard to compare these hazies and thickers to something like that. Uh, But for hazy IPA, this is a 10 out of 10 in the hazy IPA category. Good job, Ingenious. I feel I think your last your last brew let me down, but this has brought my faith back into Ingenious Brewing Company. Have you had this beer? Do you agree? Did you like the interview? If not, well, that's just your opinion. And that's fine. Cuz all we have here are opinions and beer. We are a million simple beings.